All right, guys, we're back at it. Another episode on the Family Alpha podcast. This podcast is a lengthy one. It took Jeff Putnam and I three days to record in its entirety. We do 10 lessons learned from his book, Empire Divided, A Modern Man's Path Back to His Tribe. And in each chapter, we break down lessons learned. We go over everything as to what it is to be a man, from honor and integrity, discipline, determination, kings, heroes, all of it. We dive deep into the weeds with this one. And I get a look inside the author's mind. We all do. You know, but again, this isn't about just being a well-listened man. If you're listening to this podcast, understand the expectation is that you're taking notes, you're applying these lessons, and you're actualizing and embodying them in your own life. So as we go through this, again, it's a lengthy podcast. Feel free to pause it. You know, if you're listening to the commutes, you know, take some notes when you get to where it is you're going and you have to uh, pause the podcast. And then before you take off to go home, you know, same thing, hit play, listen to it. And then when you right before you get out of the car, shut everything down. Obviously, don't start writing while you're driving and then take some notes on what you learned. You know, it's a long podcast, but don't just pass the time. Take the information and use it to improve your life. You know, and that's what this is all about. Improving your life, improving who it is you are, improving what it is you're doing. For all the family men, you have to understand that this is not just about the tribe in the sense of the family, but this is also about your tribe with other men. So there are single men out there, but it seems as though single men, while being somewhat isolated from other men, or being told at least by society to isolate from other men, they do have their bros, they do have their time out where they go with the guys. Family men often isolate. They often view their family as their only tribe. It has to go beyond that. Jeff is a part of my tribe. I am a part of Jeff's tribe. We align on many of our thoughts and we align with our values and our morals. We're both men inside the fraternityofexcellence.com. We're men who are working together to improve ourselves. And that's what it's all about. To be able to dive into his mind and get the inner workings as to what was going on, you know, from the author's perspective in each chapter. It's just, it's an incredible discussion. I'm really glad we got to have it. I'm really glad we got to put it all together over the three days. You know, and I really hope you enjoy the product. So before we dive in, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, PeacefulFathers.com. That's run by another fraternity of excellence man. That is Anthony Migliorino. Anthony's talking about ways to peacefully connect with your home, peacefully connect your tribe, and peacefully unite under the banner of a unified front against the world instead of having the world pit you against each other. Anthony is writing on all social media accounts at Peaceful Fathers. You can find his work to be another example of where it's not just about the reading, the watching, the listening, but the applying. The application of what Anthony is writing will change your life. In the same sense, if you apply the values and lessons that Jeff and I are speaking about on this podcast, so too, if you go to PeacefulFathers.com, read what he has written, listen to what he has recorded, and then start applying that in your day-to-day. If you have questions, reach out to Anthony. If you have questions about this podcast, reach out to myself or Jeff. Now let's dive into this and get you working to help yourself. Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here's your host, Zach Small, founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome back to another episode on the Family Alpha podcast. Today, I am joined by a repeat guest, father, husband, founder of Rugged Legacy Grooming, and importantly to today's discussion, author of Empire Divided, the best-selling novel on tribalism and what it is to be a man in modern times, the Jeff Putnam. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Zach. I appreciate your time. You are a busy man. You've got a lot going on. You know, earlier today we were talking and the conversation came up about the second book, the third book, the goals, 
the YouTube channel, and all that you have going on. But for those who don't know who Jeff Putnam is, could you give a brief bio before we dive into Empire Divided? A brief bio. All right. I am a married father of nine children, six of them still at home, getting ready to only be five when uh, number four ships off to basic training here in about two weeks. Uh, I work for myself. I founded Rugged Legacy Grooming Supply. It's a men's grooming supply company, beard balm, beard oil, pomade, solid cologne, shampoos and body washes, all that. You can go to ruggedlegacygrooming.com to check it out. Got some stuff for the ladies as well. Uh, Wrote my first book, well, first actual paperback book, Empire Divided, obviously, which is why I'm here today. Uh, Just finished my second, which is going to be titled The Perimeter, which is also the title of my uh, show on YouTube and podcast. Uh, That should be released later this month. And on top of all of that, I still manage to have a whole lot of time where I just sit around and hang out with the family. So I enjoy it. That's beautiful. You know, specifically to the book, when I read this, and I've read many men's books, I've been writing uh, officially, I started the blog in 2015. I've been a part of the Manosphere since 2011. The Way of Men, you know, from the Way of Men to the Art of War, everything in between, I've been reading about what it is to be a man. When I grabbed this book, and this isn't even a plug, I sent this to you prior to, when I grabbed this book, I read it on a flight to Vegas, where I was going to be a speaker in Las Vegas at the Conference for Masculine Excellence another pro man thing. So I'm flying out there to do a promo. I had gotten this right before. I think I was the last one to receive the book. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. I just want to make sure I mailed everyone else's first. I read the whole thing in the flight and I was floored, dude. It's the first time I put a book down and I was like, I need, my son's going to read this. My son needs to read this. This is a part of becoming a man. This, this book gets it. And when I sent that to you, I want you to understand, I've never said that to anybody. You know, that's, this spoke to me. And I think that's something that, that's why I really want to focus on going through the lessons I learned, you know, and this podcast for those listening or for those watching, we're going to go through 10 lessons, one lesson from each chapter of the book. But as I was explaining to Jeff earlier, you know, it doesn't do it justice. So I've got links to the book below, grab it. Jeff dives deeper into each of these topics on the perimeter. So we've got links to his show as well. Check those out. You'll get much more from it. But I mean, honestly, you need the book. You need to go through it yourself because there's so much more than what we're about to cover. We're going to dive deep. You know, we're going to hit a lesson from each of these, but it's the stem of the cherry on top of the whipped cream that's above the Sunday. You know, you're not getting the full, you know, taste, the full flavor, the full meat of everything that's going on there. So let's dive into this, but <laughs> this is just, you know, an entry to it. If you're watching this, if you're listening, you're enjoying the content, grab the book today. With that, Jeff, before I dive into the 10 lessons, is there a reason you went with these 10 as opposed to seven, nine, five? Was 10 a number or is that just where you ended up? Uh, well, I started off as nine um, and I went through the nine noble virtues of Germanic paganism, right? And I titled each of the chapters off that, you know, there's strength, honor, brotherhood. Um, I titled that one brotherhood and tribalism since it's kind of the basic philosophy behind the entire book. Uh, you know, uh, integrity, discipline, simplicity, determination. I went through all nine values uh, and what they mean for me. Cause I'm, you know, I'm obviously a practicing pagan. Um, well, I don't even know if that's obvious, but this should make it obvious. 
But um, on top of all of it, when I went through and I had finished writing it, I felt like there needed to be a culminating chapter, something that ended as, all right, you have these tools now, you have this framework, this is where your head needs to be to start living these virtues and these values. Uh, because I, I even mentioned it in the book, everything today is a virtue. Everything today is a value. And it's really not. You know, there's been this transmogrification of strength is now weakness and weakness is strength and cowardice is courage or even the most mundane below average acts uh, that people perform, you know, just to get by is now somehow amazing. Uh, it's supposed to be ins inspirational. Um, but I'm, I wanted to make sure I clarified at the end of the book, uh, which I titled uh, Kings and Heroes, the, the last chapter, um, where your head needs to be and where your heart needs to be when you decide that you're going to walk on this path as a man that I don't think any man can operate at his full self-actualized being uh, without exemplifying and embodying these nine virtues. And I think that's very well said and very well captured in the book. You know, it flies in the face of a lot of what you see in mainstream and due to the nature of my work and the way I live, it's, it's very aligned with your your perspective on what's right, what's wrong, and, and kind of where we're headed and what we can do to improve our situation. You know, I, I think we're quite aligned on our foundation there. But I think, I believe for many men, this is going to be a wake-up call. They're going to see some things and read some things that make them uncomfortable, both with where their actions prior to, they're going to reflect upon their performance, and they're going to see they have a choice to make going forward. And that, I think, is one of the greatest strengths of this book is that it it flies in the face. It almost directly challenges the status quo, if you will. And that's exactly what's needed and exactly why we had to have this conversation. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the best review I ever got on it was someone told me uh, that the book was filled with hatred and uh, uh borderline extremism i said oh so you did read it <laughs> so uh yeah everything that i have to say i i don't put on any politically correct filters i do offer some nuance because there's all the, always those guys who are the uh well what about this and what about that um extreme extenuating circumstance that obviously is not the the common occurrence in any situation but just because you know, it could happen. I, I offer some of those uh, nuances in there, but a lot of it is very straightforward. This is it. This is how it is. And it's backed up with uh, real anthropological uh, and psychological study evidence uh, that, you know, it, it, oh, more of a primal psychology of man uh, and our nature as men and as humans. Um that don't really care about your opinion because it sounds like it may offend someone. Well, I think th that's an excellent segue though. That's an excellent segue right into the first chapter, which is courage is being able to stand against these things is being able to actually make a decision that you might go against somebody. You might hurt somebody else's feelings. And so when I wrote down on the first one for courage, you know, it, my question was, 
how does the modern man show courage? How can he show this thing that you're talking about? Well, you know, like, like I just mentioned with, you know, the, the transvaluation of the word courage, it's, you know, we, we, they're calling people heroes that put on a mask and went to the grocery store to go and bag people's groceries for eight bucks an hour uh, during the, the Corona lockdowns. There's nothing brave about doing any of that. All right. Courage is measured by the risk involved. And I don't care what political talking points anybody's listened to. COVID was not dangerous to the 17-year-old kid who went to go and get eight bucks an hour to bag groceries. COVID was dangerous to those with the comorbidities or whatever the hell, whatever the word is. You know, the, the, the overweight, the elderly, the infirm, the ones with already compromised immune systems. Yeah. If that guy was saying, screw it, I don't care if I might die today because I'm 97 years old and have emphysema, I'm going to go out and go to work amid a respiratory illness outbreak. You know what? That's pretty damn brave, especially if he's doing it because he's got to keep providing for his 95-year-old wife. But courage is measured by the amount of risk involved. If there's no risk, it's not courageous. You know, people talk about, well, I stand uh, for this and I promote this. I will take a bullet for my family. I'll die for my kids. You say these things, but we live in a society where it's not really going to happen on a regular basis. And not a lot of men are going to encounter a situation where they have to put their money where their mouth is, right? Yeah, you might have to fight off a robber or a home invader or save your kid from a car crash or from drowning or whatever it is. But those opportunities don't pop up very often, especially with the world we live in now. It's soft. It's safe. You can call 911, handle it all this way. For someone to display courage today, it has to be real and meaningful courage, but it also has to be relevant to the time we live in. Yeah, it's courageous for me to say, well, I defended my my yard and my perimeter of my home from, you know, an encroaching band of, you know, Mongolian invaders. Yeah, yeah. But how often does that happen in rural South Carolina? Was that last Thursday you did that? Well, well yeah, but it was Thursday. That's the that's the normal thing for Thursdays are gotcha. around here. We do that a lot in South Carolina. But Whatever it is, whatever position you're taking, if you're only taking it because it's popular, then your convictions mean nothing. It's a conviction of convenience because, yeah, there's a chance you may actually agree with it. But if you have something to say or something you believe or something you want to do or a message that you want to spread, a lesson or a way that you want to raise your children and teach them, and it flies against everything that the that society and the empire is telling you because it's not woke it's not politically correct it's exclusive it it's it's discriminative and you do it anyway knowing the risk that you could get doxxed you could get canceled you could you know lose your livelihood and your job i lost i could have probably stayed on at my 9 to 5 with the tenure that i had there when they laid us all off for covid 
But the fact that I never refrained from giving both fingers to HR whenever they tried to say, hey, people are seeing your social media and people are seeing your YouTube videos. And people are seeing your content and it's making them uncomfortable. And my response was, well, don't look at it. Block me. It was a risk. I have nine children. I have to take care of these kids. I have to take care of my wife. I got to take care of this dog that's bigger than I am. And, it, and still, it was worth it to me. Just like it's worth it to a lot of other guys to say, I'm going to say what needs to be said, and I'm not going to balk on my own convictions just because someone is threatening me. I accept the risk. And again, the greater the risk, the greater the measure of courage. But standing up, no matter who is standing against you, is probably the only way that anyone can really, on a regular basis, uh, again, outside of the extreme circumstances, display courage in times like today. You know, I think in that it's important we make the distinction now, early in this discussion, that this talk is going to be divided between the empire so what is courage to the empire, those in power right now who are praising weakness as courageous? You know, you're so brave that you, you, you went out and you, you, know, you worked, you bagged those things during COVID. You faced no fear and you got paid. There's no bravery there. You know, there was no issues. There was no threat. There was no risk. There was no fear. You know, to the man who's the honorable man. So there's the empire and there's the man of honor. And that's sort of how I'm going to break these two things down. And in each of these chapters and lessons, you know, and the next one being strength strength to the empire strength right now to the masses you know is is weakness but strength to the man of honor there's actually a a metric there that we call it the tried and the masculinity you know inside foe strong mind strong body strong spirit what does that mean well to the world you know you're such a strong and brave independent person for doing the bare minimum when you're inside your tribe totally different you know metric of measurement is placed upon that and, and the measurement of a man inside that tribe i i really look forward to seeing you break that down because it's it's almost again right in the face and in the opposition of what the empire is promoting you know but again hence the need of this book to push back against that because we're seeing the degeneracy and we're seeing how it's it's bleeding like a cancer to all areas of life to the point where we're fracturing the family unit and people are cheering about it people are having celebrations about divorces it's just it's insane that we're at this point we, we do a lot of clown world memes but it doesn't do it justice you know it this is real life. We're really facing this and we really need people to take some real actions to change it. And we need strong individuals to stand up, which is great because chapter two, strength. You know, and I, I like how you layered those, the courageous to, to, to be there, to show up, to, to face the risk, to face the fear. And how you got to be strong enough to do something about it. It's cool to stand up, but if you're like a little weasel, good job for having the courage, man. You're about to get slapped down. You have no foundation. So on strength, you said man is not meant to be pacified or nurtured throughout his life. When you're looking at the modern man, how can you not see this in every facet of their being? Everything's provided for. But when you wrote this, who did you have in mind? You know, when you're seeing the empire and you're seeing your tribe. I saw pretty much everyone, myself included. I'm, I'm you know, I saw you. We're not special in any way. You know, we all live, like I said, we live in a time where we don't have to worry about, you know, invading banded hordes. You know, unless you live in a third world country, then, you know, obviously you don't need to read my book. You're living that and, you know, keep rocking on. Uh, well, for whenever you get YouTube over there, you can, <laughs> and you can see this. But 
we live in an age where everything is easy. There's nothing hard that we have to do to get by. You know, my great grandfather, your great grandfather, you know, just maybe a hundred years ago, being strong was a necessity. We didn't have, you know, it wasn't easy jobs and automation. You had, you had to be strong to work in these factories and you develop strength by working in these factories and working on these farms and working in all these industries that required you to exhibit some physical prowess in some way. But we've gotten to the point where everything is convenient. Everything is, you know, it's air conditioned. It's comfortable. You hardly anybody has to walk anywhere anymore, you know? You get in your little climate controlled box and, oh, it's hot outside and I have to work. That's fine. I'll just sit here in the car uh, for 45 minutes traveling the 60 miles to work. And I get there and it's hot when I get out of the car. So, oh, cool. I can walk inside and it's air conditioned here too. And there's a very select few places where it sucks to work. I worked at a place like that. I worked in a factory for six years prior to. Uh, starting Rugged Legacy and middle of June, you know, you're sweating like R. Kelly at a Girl Scout meeting because there's no AC. It's a, (laughs) you know, it's a a 190,000 square foot warehouse and they had one AC unit on the roof and you're there for 12 hours a day in the summertime. It sucked. You were praying for the wintertime because it was so hot in there. It felt warm by that time, but everything's convenient. Everything's easy. You don't have to, you know, fight for your meal. You don't have to toil your land all day long by hand to make sure there's food on your table. But what that did is while in our ancestors fought for this life. And so we would be an idiot and we would be like foolish to not honor them by enjoying it. But at the same time, if we only stay within the realms of convenience and comfort, especially as men, because men thrive on resistance and being pushed down on. We thrive more when we have an obstacle or an enemy or an opponent that we have to push back against. We die inside when we don't have those things. And I, I mean that in a very literal way. We die inside because you see it. The guys who have everything, who never have to work a day in their life, you know, the, the trust fund kids, and they get everything handed to them, and they're usually bitter, miserable, bitchy little people because they've never had to exert themselves. They don't know who they are. Everything's just just there, and nothing has any meaning And if you have to perform, it's much different than, oh, I paid somebody to perform for me. And it's very hard to articulate into words. And I I struggled with it in the book. You don't feel alive as a man unless you're fighting something. It doesn't have to be an actual person. But it can be fighting your circumstances. It can be fighting for a cause. And it's obviously bigger than you. You know, you're not, there's no glory for a man. And every man has the, the, the hunger for glory in his veins. It's in his DNA. It's in his bone marrow. 
there's no glory in fighting something that's smaller than you. There's nothing heroic about a 200 year old man kicking the crap out of a 50 year old. Uh, I mean, a, uh, a 50 pound teenager, you know, that's emaciated and dying. Get that 200 pound man to fight a 1000 pound dragon. All right. He's scared out of his mind, but it fixes something inside of him. And he feels like that's what he needs. And like I said, courage is measured by the risk implied. Strength is measured by the resistance that it, it uh, has to oppose. People say that, you know, these in this body positive movement, a woman who is morbidly obese, she comes out and she's in a, a I don't even want to call it a bikini, but the biggest piece of cloth on it is the how to wash tag. And they go, oh, she's so brave. No, she isn't. Is the vocal majority, the loudest people out there are all going, oh, she's beautiful, healthy at any size, beauty at any size. Even if she looks like the elephant man got stung by a bee, she's beautiful. Da -da -da -da. That's not strength. She's not being, oh, she's so strong and so brave for doing it. That's not strong if there's no resistance outside of the small pocket. It's unpopular now to, I worked my ass off to go from 600 pounds to 187 pounds, and now I'm chiseled and jacked or toned and fit and beautiful and or handsome or whatever. Because the majority out there is going to say you're body shaming others by losing your own weight. There's more resistance in becoming stronger and becoming fitter and becoming better than there is for becoming worse. Because we've entered that stage where we have resource abundance and you don't need to be any of these other things to survive and get by. And because people have become so complacent with where they are and they have no desire to improve because there's no necessity. When they see someone better or fitter, they immediately become insecure and it casts a light on their own insecurities. And this is the majority of people out there. So there's more resistance against the guys who, guys and girls who turn around and say, no, 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 I lost these 200 pounds. I got jacked. I'm doing great now. And they have to face the onslaught of the hyper woke extreme left people. I mean, I know I say extreme left because I want to make sure that I clarify that not everybody on the left is like this. Right? I mean, I'm not going to speak in absolutes on those, but the extreme hyper woke people say that these people are committing violence. Okay. They're saying they're committing violence by getting into shape and they're promoting the shaming of others. When it, that's it has nothing to do with them but it casts a light on their own insecurities well and that's so the greatest no obstacle that's the greatest hindrance to many though from starting the path to becoming strong there's no acceptance when, when you start i'm going to go to the gym there's pushback i'm going to eat right there's pushback your ability your decision your mental strength to be overwhelming you know to to overcome the constant message of you're good enough, eat more, consume more, be more, you know, take more, be more comfortable. If you're mentally strong enough to overcome that, you now are highlighting others' weakness and their inability to overcome that message. By, by choosing to break free and to lift the weights, to eat right, to, to have a healthy family, to have a strong spirit, 
when you see all those broken masses, they're saying, well, why, who do you think you are to, to do all this? Well, I'm the guy who can overcome the message and you're not. And that's what bothers you. And that's what bothers them more than anything. You're highlighting their inability to overcome the message. You're stronger than them. Mentally, it starts in the mind. Having the courage you know, to, to take the action, the strong mind to get you into motion, the strong body that comes from the, the consistent behaviors and the strong spirit to see it through. Many never reach that point because they look around and there's no acceptance of what they're doing. And they want the masses to support them, to tell them you're doing the right thing. Attaboy, good job. And this, this goes to chapter three. Those standards, that metric where true measurement of actual strength is only going to be found in a tribe or brotherhood that has the same values that you have. When you value a strong mind, strong body, strong independence, a sense of personal freedom. Well, when you're living in the land of sheep, that's a bad thing. But if you find that tribe where all those other men are acting the same way, and they put a value on those same metrics of performance. Only then will you get a true evaluation on your performance. And I really like the way you said a man's inability to connect with others in a real and meaningful way is a death sentence to his spirit. As someone who launched a tribe, as someone who lost a tribe when I left the military and I had to rebuild it through the fraternity of excellence, this was a very powerful chapter for me because this is literally what I'm dedicating my life's work to helping men find this, helping them build their own, helping them find their version of this, you know, and you captured it quite well, you know, and I was wondering if you could speak to the tribe mindset because people don't understand when you say like, not everybody matters. When you talk about the kid washed up on the shore and that's not my people, that's not my problem. They get very, very sensitive to this, but when you break it down, it could not be more honest and everybody else is lying about how much they care. They don't care. They just signal that they do. The whole virtue signaling is disgusting. But if you could speak to your tribers outside of the tribe, as well as the the standards that are held within a tribe, I think that would be very enlightening to many. Yeah. Um, you know, tribalism gets a bad rap, right? Uh, especially post anything post 2015 uh, in regards to tribalism gets a very bad rap because uh, it get that term gets conflated with uh, tribalism or um, some ideological hate group or whatever, but that's not the case. All right, we as people are we're, we're you social creatures. We need to socialize with others. You know, there's this Hollywood glamorization of the lone wolf. Uh, you know, the the damaged uh, anti-hero, the John McClane's. He did it all by himself, but he's flawed. And, you know, that makes him relatable to us. And it, it paints this kind of a uh, a picture where, where we can, men, where we as men can vicariously live through them, right? Yes, I'm just as damaged as he is. I could probably save Nakatomi Plaza, you know, <laughs> but realistically, and you, and you see this as young as like newborns, newborns that are never held or loved or have any kind of emotional or spiritual connection with other people. They fail to thrive and they die and they, they look weak and sick. That doesn't so much happen on a physical level with men, you know, once they're mature and they're no longer infants, but it happens on the inside. When I say tribe, I mean a group of like-minded 
and like valued individuals that you will share with a purpose and a mission. And no matter what that mission is, there's tribes everywhere today. You know, and I said in the book, back when America was just the colonies, it was a ragtag group of guys. If you look at it in comparison to the population of America now at 360, 70 something million people, and then you look at then, you probably didn't even break a million people living in the colonies altogether, right? Not for some time. If you did, it was pretty close. So it was so much smaller and there was such a unifying cause that it was really easy to get everybody behind the idea that we, they needed to do something to fight back against tyranny and against the king and push to become their own nation. Even still, that number was huge, and you had a lot of people going, no, 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 I like Britain. I'm staying loyal. Well, the same thing happens now if you look at the population of America. 370 million people, I might agree with at least 80% of opinions of probably a one-thousandth of a percent of that, of the, of the entire people. I can't be in a tribe with people whose values don't match my own. You know, I am anti-abortion. It's going to piss people off me to say that, you know, but it is what it is. Can I really say that I can be loyal to and expect this person to have my back when their ideology is the exact opposite of mine? This person believes in undercutting and cheating and aborting babies and destroying the the idea of a family, uh, the traditional idea of family with a father, a mother, children, or I don't care if it's two fathers, two mothers, but the idea of a family and destroying those things. I can't operate with them. I don't hate these people, but I can't operate with them. They're just they're that other tribe. They're those people that live over there beyond that ridge. And as long as they don't come within my borders and try to fuck shit up, we're good. But ideologies are the new metric for tribes. They used to be based on geographical approximation uh, or I mean, proximity, um, race, ethnicity, because there's plenty out there that when it comes to even religions, because you didn't used to not be a religion unless you were born into that religion, right? There's no way you were going to be a Buddhist if you were born in Western Europe, you know, in England, in Mercia, you know, you're, you're not going to be a Buddhist. You're, you're, it just wasn't going to happen. But because this world has become so interconnected and it's easy for me to pick up my phone and talk to someone who's 6,000 miles away and learn about their culture or interact with them in a way where we end up sharing our cultures with each other, I can say, hey, I like that. I might adopt this belief system because it kind of matches how I feel inside. There's the same people from the same place talking about the same things that disagree vehemently on those things. Well, they, they're not going to work well together. They're not going to coexist well together. Just like if you have a company, you know, if there's a culture for that company and you either get on board with the culture of that company or you don't last long at that company. And those things become these smaller uh, and a little more abstract versions of tribes. 
but your tribe is your people. And when you mentioned about the little boy on the shore, yeah, I put that in the book and I know that probably pissed a lot of people off and it probably made them stop for a few minutes and wonder what the hell kind of guy I am. But let's face it. If you're watching the news and you see a story about a woman who was attacked or a child who was murdered, you care because it's easy to empathize and sympathize with these people when you see it right in front of you. But by caring about these people that you're seeing on this, on this news story, you're actively not caring about the 5 million other atrocities that are happening at that exact moment, because you can't, you can't, I, I can't remember everyone's name that is in my phone contact list, much less say I have a connection to all of them in such a way that, at a moment's notice, I will run to their aid and forsake whatever I've got going on. You, you can't care that much about everyone. To me, loving, caring, trusting, honoring, all those things, it's like butter. You can only spread it so thin before you just have bread. Your small circles, your tight-knit groups, your 10 to 15 dudes that you... Like, that's my guy. 250, I believe, is the maximum on the end of the Dunbar number of people you can care about. After that, you care, but not really. But like you said, the virtue signaling where it gets to the point of, take, for example, Israel and Gaza right now as we speak. I'll use current events. Their people are mad because Gaza is shooting rockets at Israel, and people are mad because Israel is bombing the crap out of, out of Gaza. I don't care. Neither one of them are my people. I've never been to Gaza. I've never been to Israel. I'll probably never go to either of those places. So what they do to each other is not my concern until it does something to directly affect me. But because of the interconnect of the world we live in and how popular it is to sound altruistic like I'm, I care about everybody people will go on and decry these crimes against humanity well the same people that are crying about Israel and Gaza right now don't give a crap because they don't know about the war being fought in northern Ethiopia right now what, what is considered crimes against humanity. And this is like starting to rival the Tutsi and the Hutu massacre that was going on back in the 90s. It is bad if you're one of those people. I've never been there. I'm not going. They're not my people. They're not my problem. You can't take care of your own people. You can't take care of yourself and those close to you and those that matter actually really matter to you. If you're wasting all of your time pretending to really, really care about these people that have zero impact on your life, zero impact on your community, zero impact on you, period. But that's where we are. And it's unpopular for me to say, no, I have my people. I have my tribe. Does that mean I'm going to be discriminative and exclusionary? Yes, it does. Because I'm going to give my people preferential treatment before I give it to someone else. It's no different than saying I'll choose my kid over my coworker if somebody needs a kidney. That is the basic foundation of tribalism. You care more about some people than you do others. 
you're loyal to more people than you are others. And the empire, they don't want that. They want you to have this undying loyalty to them. And for those that are still wondering what the hell I'm talking about, when I say empire, I mean the modern global world that is currently trying as hard as it can to become one giant society united under one thing. And we never can be because you're not united under one banner unless there's a cause. And that cause, all that calls for unity is always we are we, the collective we, now against them. Nobody likes to hear it, but we do live in an us and them society. It just doesn't sound very polite to say there is an us and there is a them because then you're a phobe or an ism or whatever. But I'm not an ism or a phobe, and neither are most people of any variation or degree. When they say, I like my people better, I'm going to treat my people a certain way before I even consider these other people at all. Not caring about these other people is not the same as hating them. And a lot of people conflate those two things. They think if you don't care about them, then you hate them. But hating is honoring. Hating them views them as a an equal at the very least. But it's different when you don't consider them at all because if you've got your own people to worry about that you have to focus on. And tribes now are all ideological-based and value-based, if that makes any sense. No, it makes sense. And I appreciate the way you brought in altruism because I believe altruism has been made the god of all virtues. It's about everybody else. You got to focus on all these things. You got to place them all above you. And it has led, it's been detrimental to the development and the actualization of the best selves of thousands and thousands of individuals. They have placed the whole world's problems at their feet. Oh, we're worried about Israel. You know, the mental health issues we're seeing in teens, we're seeing in adults, the the outrage culture we're a part of, dude. You, you can't go anywhere without somebody being triggered by something that literally has nothing to do with their lives at all. You know, but here we are dealing with these matters that don't concern us. And my wife, you know, I, I love Jackie to death, but she doesn't understand how I really don't care about certain things. And I care so much about certain things. And it's because in my tribe, with my people, when there is something that's going after us, I'm all in. It, it is. Let's rally the troops. Let's go. But when these things don't concern me, this I don't have the mental bandwidth to care about the whole world. And nobody should. And that you, you hit the nail on the head, man. And I did have a question with that, you know, which brings us to chapter four, and that's loyalty. Where, you know, I, I for the first time, I had to question myself. I've always had this um, go America, pro America. I serve the country. This is the greatest country in the world. And then I realized my alignment, my values, my loyalty was to my fellow men that were in my tribe. It was to the men in the FOE. It's the men that I, I've created with, I've content with, my family. My loyalty was there. I live in America. I believe this country offers great freedoms and the ability to grow in a way that most countries do not allow. You know, But reading this chapter on loyalty, I found that my commitments were to the people. It wasn't to the country. 
And that, that for me, I mean, dude, that was, that was a shift, you know, that was a big shift for me personally. So where do you see loyalty and brotherhood? What's the difference there? And, and honestly, I, I love how you hit, you know, the blood of the covenant. So if you could break that down, because I do believe it's misunderstood. It was misunderstood by myself until your chapter. But if you could break down loyalty compared to brotherhood and the difference that you see. And I don't, I don't think there really is a better way to describe it other than the way I did when we were just talking about tribalism. Are you really, I mean, I served, right? And we signed this contract that says, I swear to uphold, defend this and that and the other and protect all of the American people and be loyal to all of the American people. But look at the world we're living in right now, man. Are you really going to be loyal to the same groups of people that want to destroy you and silence you and just say, all right, these people hate me, but I'm going to be loyal to them anyway. That's where it really hit me when COVID hit, you know, I read this. So like I said, I read this book uh, maybe two months ago. So we're, we're post the, the main peak of COVID, all these things that happened. I was looking and I realized it was my countrymen that were my biggest threat right now. My countrymen and women were the ones that were targeting my family, targeting myself as, as a man with strong family beliefs, strong personal response. Again, you, you know, my writing, most people listening to this know where I stand on most matters. I was targeted as being a racist. I was, I was targeted, you know, through my profession, um, through personal family relations, because I, I had certain political beliefs because I did not agree with certain movements that were going on, you know, by just by using the term black person, because I don't believe in using African-American because Africa does not have a monopoly on all dark skin individuals. I think black person is more appropriate. And so you get to know the individual and then you can call them Haitian. You can call them, you know, wherever they're from. You know, I that's the right way. By using that term, you have no idea the impact that was hit on me. And I was looking around. And it was my fellow Americans who turned their back and just immediately went after me and my family because I stood out. And this chapter on loyalty and who was loyal to me through those times, it was interesting to see how certain men online rallied around and certain turned their back and walked away. And I saw through conflict where true loyalties were found, yourself included. When, when I hit some rough patches, you were there unflinchingly. And it was, it was interesting, and, and not to go down that path, but it was interesting to see how easy it was for some of my friends to remain friends and like, yeah, dude, let's go forward. And some of them to say, no, 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 the, we have to follow the empire's lead. Put your mask on, stop standing out, stop speaking up. You know, let's put signs up on to su support this or support that. And I realized where people's true loyalties were found. And I was like, man, it, it, it was just a contrast to what I had my preconceived notion as to what loyalty was and who would stand where when, you know, the cards fell. Yeah. And, and loyalty is one of those two way streets, right? You know, you, it makes sense to say, I'm, I want to be loyal to my country, but that's why I said empire divided. You know, that's the title. That's why the title of the book is what it is. The empire, you know, America, it's a 
it's like the Iroquois Indians. It, it is a confederacy of tribes, all with different values. There's no, there's no unifying value now. You know, the everybody got you know so pissed off that America was called a Christian nation, and so there's this vehement push to push everything. Well, no, 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 no. It has to be secular. It has to be secular. You can you can worship if you want, but it's got to be quietly. And there's people who go, no, 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 I'm going to worship loud. That right there immediately splits them into two tribes. They can't agree on anything. And those tribes, if you push that one particular issue, they will go to war with each other. If something means that much to you that you're willing to go to war with it, you know, go to war over it, and someone else feels the exact opposite and they're willing to go to war about it, then you are not united. Just because you live in the same state or the same country, your geographical proximity to each other means jack shit. You're divided. And that is where we're at now. It started with the right and the left, and now it's the right and the right divided from half the other right. The those halves divided from the other halves and the quarters and the eighths and the sixteenths and the same thing on the other side. No one's agreeing on anything. No one can say the arbitrary shit doesn't matter. This is the the base goal that we can all share. There's no more universal value or universal cause that everyone can get behind. It was kind of like 9-11, right? It sucked. But on 9-12, 99% of the people said, yeah, fuck all this bullshit. Uh, I don't care about any of uh this guy doing this the majority of people going we and they use that word we as a collective got hit we need to fight back and that was the majority consensus but still it wasn't everyone there are still people well we those you all got what you deserve they they don't even count themselves among the people that got hit right it was you all got what you deserved i hope uh more happens to you because they have already separated themselves from the uh, idea of that we are all Americans. American, uh, you know, the word American used to mean something and it doesn't anymore. And it pisses me off that I have to say that. And it's going to piss a lot of people off to hear it because, you know, they're the flag waving patriots. If you don't like this country, get out. But it's everywhere, no matter where you go. It's, you can't just leave. The only thing you can do is to find your people no matter where they are, where they're from, that will be loyal to you. Give your loyalty to them because you can't be loyal to an empire that supports the people that want to destroy you. And that's a sad state of reality, but it is what it is. Well, it's that truth that we're dealing with, though. Whether it's it's comfortable or uncomfortable, people want to hear it, they don't want to hear it. It's irrelevant to the reality we're living in. This is the way it is. This text captures that so well. And, you know, it, it, it almost like I was dumbstruck when you said, well, that's why it's called an empire divided. I know the title. I've read the book. My son's read the book. We've talked about this book. Yet still, as I'm saying this, you have to keep coming back to that base notion of accepting this. And I, myself included, I think a lot of people are not wanting to accept that, but it is the truth. You know, we are split and it's, the fracture is not coming back. There's, there's just new paths to walk, you know, and again, for those listening, for those watching the links below, grab the text, start reading it yourself for you to make your decisions. Again, we're, we're scraping the surface here and still, this is some heavy stuff. And this is just the surface. The book goes deeper. 
going to the perimeter, uh, watching Jeff's show, that goes deeper. This goes deeper, though. This goes to your core as to where do you stand and what do you believe in and what are you willing to do about it? When push comes to shove, is your job more important or are your beliefs? Will you sacrifice everything you once believed for in, to ensure you have that steady paycheck? Or will there come a time where you've got to give up that and pray you can find work elsewhere to support the family, as Jeff did, as Jeff lived? Or will you bend the knee? These are, these are life questions, and you don't have to answer it now, but it's something to think about. Yeah, you know, people always think it's, you know, a conspiracy theory. Oh, we're not all that divided, but we are. You don't even agree with your neighbor about where you put your trash cans. And that, while that's a very small and arbitrary thing, but that you have diametrically opposed views from people that live just across the street from you. You know, there's, you know, take in, you know, the, the, the guys that stormed the Capitol on the 6th, right? Even the old ladies too. And then there's the, the Black Lives Matter and then every other single group out there. No two groups agree with each other and they will readily go to war with each other because they believe with all of their being and what they're doing and what they're saying. And I'm not going to demonize BLM or this group or that group or whatever. They are just a tribe of people that have chosen their loyalties. And it came natural to them because you don't, if they think that they're being discriminated and oppressed by a certain group of people and everyone feels that way, they are naturally via their human survival instincts going to band together with people who feel the same way so that they're not just an island getting ready to wash over be washed over by a tsunami of the other tribe and that's all it is it's basic human psychology if you feel like you are being hunted or taken on by one group of people and then you realize there's other people that are just like you being hunted by the same group of people you all band together you build a fire you set up a perimeter and say all right we're all in we are all in this against them because there is an us and them dynamic that can never be completely erased. Because once you get past a certain point, where is as far as like uh, size goes, like America did, people you get more diversity of views and more diversity of ideologies, and you start getting these small splinter cells breaking off. Right. That that's one of the things America did. And our founding fathers did was say, all right, the states will still make their own laws outside of the overseeing federal laws. And that's because no one is going to agree. You can move to this state if you don't like that state. But it's happening within the states now. It's happening within the towns, within the counties, within the HOAs to the point where you've got one extreme activist group living on this side of the street and one extreme activist group living on that side of the street. And they will just literally go at each other nonstop and they won't even say good morning to each other because they've adopted the idea that it is us against them. And they've all, the only reason they've adopted that idea is because it's true. You're never going to get along with these people. You cannot treat these people the, the way you want to be treated because there's a high chance that these people will take advantage of you treating them that way. And they're going to eat you seeing you as weak because you were too willing to offer loyalty to the people willing to destroy you. 
you know, and for many, and it bleeds into the next chapter, it's going to go down to what's their code of honor. What, what is it they fall back to and what is it they can align with others on to where they can say, yes, we have the same value system. We have the same code. We are going to fall to this. And you break it down in, in different ways. You know, honor is honor until somebody says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. There are different types of honor. There are different modes of honor. There are different, you know, approaches and situations of honor. And the way you break that down, it's, it's a way that I've not seen done before. I think it'll help those better understand the concept. And it'll also make the decision-making easier because they'll understand this is why I believe what I believe. This is what I will stay true to. This In this situation is where I'll believe maybe something different or align with someone who is similar enough to accept the differences being the overall greater good. You know, but the concept of honor is lost on many. And for such an intangible thing, you broke it down in the metric that I think it was, it'll be easy for others to understand, apply, and observe in real time. And so with that concept being so intangible, like honor, you know, it means so many different things to different people. Could you please break down your view of honor and then how you sort of split it into those subcategories of horizontal, vertical, and then reflexive? Honor is one of those things that it's going to be subjective no matter what. Uh, Culturally, what is considered uh, an honorable thing to do is going to be different in Eastern Europe than it would be in Japan or between any two different cultures or, you know, some random tribe uh, like the, uh, the the tribes that are still there in Africa now. You know, it's, their concept of honor is going to be very subjective to their culture and their beliefs. But the, the important aspect of it and what matters is that each member of that particular tribe all adheres to that same honor code, which what we have now, there's nine houses here on my street. Uh, Granted, this was probably a terrible example because out of these nine houses, there's only three families that occupy all nine of them. You know, it's a very tight knit. We all just, we, we own this block as it were. And there is a code of expectations. Well, maybe it's not a bad example because this works. Um, there's a code of expectations of behavior and how you're going to carry yourself here in the neighborhood. You won't drive fast. You're going to look out for other people's kids. You're not going to crap on other people's kids. You know, you'll go to parents if there's issues with kids rather than being the jerk. You just, you know, a standard of behavior for this neighborhood. Now, we all share that because we've lived here for as long as we have. Somebody from the outside moves in on uh, the house behind us, which is on a different block. Well, they try to move and start coming around in this area of driving up and down the street like crazy and, you know, just violating whatever understood and often unspoken standard of behavior that we share. We're going to let them know that it's not tolerated. And we have that now as a country. There's so many different tribes ideologically that what is honorable or whether or not honor matters at all is subjective to those tribes and those individuals. So with that said, the important thing is that if you have a tribe, if you have a community, the only way that it can move forward uh, progressively and in in a thriving manner is if all people share those values and all people share and respect and do their utmost to uphold the expected and established code of honor within that particular tribe and community. 
we can't get that with as many people as we have in this country. We can't get people to agree on masks and vaccines and fried food, you know, vegan or non-vegan. Those things have become tribes. And when those things become too big, they even splinter off into small subsections. There's the, the I can eat fish vegans, but not whatever. You know, it, it splinters off because nothing is no, is, uh, it's not shared anymore. Now, you mentioned um, the reflexive honor, the vertical honor, and the horizontal honor. Reflexive honor is probably the most ancient form of honor that I think everyone, whether they realize it or not, has. Reflexive honor is essentially, if I would let that guy steal my chicken, I may as well just let him rape my daughter. It's one of those, if you hurt me, if I would allow you to hurt me, I might as well just allow you to kill me. It's, um, you are not going to punch me in the face without getting punched in the face back, right? That is reflexive honor. Reflexive honor is the, I'm not going to be ran over without doing something about it because I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do something about it. How does that's probably, that's just animal right there. How, how do you find yourself able to balance that though? You know, as a content creator, as somebody who's online, you know, you just mentioned, you know, you and the, the families around you, you kind of have this unspoken though, probably addressed at some point agreement on we do this, we don't do that. Somebody new comes in, we will school them up. So they do this and they don't do that online though. You know, you, the trolls, the, the naysayers, the people who've never been punched in the mouth, who will come in and say what they want to say about you, your family. I've seen some of the comments made, you know, and it, it's always, you know, you're, you're a virgin who's never touched a woman. And then you drop the photo of you and all the kids, which is the best response. How have you found a way to, to balance that in this new age? Because you can't go and punch them in the face. They're an A non account. So how are you able to say, yes, you can say this to me, but only in this environment, because I, there's, you have no reach. There's no real fallout for them. There's no consequences to what they're saying to you. Well, I separate the two worlds. Um, Social media is not real by any means, the way I look at it anyway. It's not real. It's a tool that I can use, but it is not a universe. It's a place where people will go and it's a water cooler. And it's kind of like the local watering hole in the Sahara, right? Every animal can go there. Some animals are going to talk shit and then everybody's still going to go their own way unless things get out of hand. Right. Those things probably would have bothered me a lot when I was younger, but to me, it's no different than being out in traffic, right? Some asshole is going to cut me off. He's going to flip me off. Well, as much as I would like to run him off the road into a ditch and eject him from his windshield, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, One, because I'll lose everything I have. Definitely going to prison for that. But also, well, as long as I don't get caught, I might not. But That's why I left. In the back of my head, I was just like, you wouldn't get caught, though. (laughs) Yeah, there there is that. But now, the... uh, the society we live in, there's still this base level of understanding of a code of behavior that everyone has to adhere to, right? I mean, even when it comes to laws, 
if I'm going to break a law, which I break a law every single day, I'm probably breaking 20 right now. It's because I don't want to follow them, but I also understand the consequences that would come behind it. Right. And I accept the consequences. Well, the consequences for me are worth breaking this law for if I get caught. It's, it's kind of a balance of, is it really worth it or not? Am I going to go on with this troll hater naysayer, whatever you want to call them for an hour and a half of my day? When if they were really here in the real world, there's a 90% chance they wouldn't have said it to my face. And if they did, they wouldn't have said it more than once. Then it really doesn't matter. Anybody can say anything online. And that's why I say it's not the real world, because in the real world, people will not behave that way because there's always that fear of catching hands or you like uh, Ed Lattimore says, there's, you never know who's not afraid to go to jail. Right. And so that's why I don't walk around with my chest puffed out and shoulder bumping people because they're not parting like the Red Sea when I walk through a store somewhere. It's just a balancing act. But, you know, again, back to the reflexive side of it, it's more of one of those things where if they had broken that that wall of just being some random stranger on the Internet that I can click a button and never see again. And they were showing up to my front door and doing it. Well, then we're obviously going to have a completely different scenario. But I don't view anything online as as real. You know, it's- I think that's a great perspective to take. You know, and I think that's that would help many men. You know, there are several dudes who I served with, and they they tried getting something going on social media. But where our, our background is, you you own the words you say in the physical in the meat world. And they had a very hard time adapting that to online where people were just like, they were just flaming out on each dude. And they're like, fuck this, I'm out. You know, and if they were able to separate that the way you have, we'd have a lot more content creators. We'd have a lot more dudes who, who follow the same code, but they'd be able to actually share it without those distractions or feeling the need to address every single negative response. Yeah, not everything needs, needs to be given attention to. That's hard for some though. I think that's hard. And again, maybe it's that code of honor. It needs to adapt a little or maybe update a little. That's being reactive. That's not the same thing as uh, reflexive honor. So so what's the difference there? If someone comes in and insults you, how is that different? If someone comes in and insults me to my face in the real world, I'm probably going to address it, whether verbally, physically, depending on the severity and how far it needs to go on the situation. A reflexive honor. If I'm going to let him spit in my face in public, I may as well just let him spit on my kid or kick my kid or take my kid. Yep. Right. What, where, where am I going to draw the line kind of thing? It's a random moron online. I, but I think that's where some cannot, they cannot differentiate the random moron online to them. Well, that's, that's the, the troll online being, equals the person at the door. That is the difference being able to respond and a, a good response to the random idiot online is it's just a random idiot online. Click block, keep moving. You don't even have to address or reply to this dude. Just block them. Who cares? And then they're gone forever until they make another account that you repeat the process. It takes two seconds of your time. That is the difference between being reactive and having reflexive honor. You know, if you, you're constantly reacting to everything, it's, it would be the guy who 
you know, in the ancient world, every time he heard a noise in the dark, he threw a spear or he shot an arrow <laughs> over there, you know, just whatever the hell that was, it, you know, a tree fell. And next thing you know, he's sitting there completely disarmed on the perimeter of his camp because he launched every arrow he had at every single noise out there in the dark. And it was the wind blowing. You're just disarming yourself when you get to the point of you're going to throw down with every single naysayer that's not actually an issue to you. You know, I mean, it's just a person online. I, Dude, that's perfect I can, imagery. That's can, very well said. I can flip my phone over and he doesn't exist anymore. Now it's face down. <laughs> He's gone. You know, I don't have to go to extreme measures. I, I, I hit the home key and log into Candy Crush. He's gone now. You know, is that easy? I mean, it's, obviously, it's going to be different in the real world. No, it, again, that imagery, I think, will that will bridge the gap for many who are still trying to figure those two out. And, you know, two or three years ago, dude, that was me. I was throwing spears at every motherfucker. You want to talk shit about families, fathers, family alpha, like FOE? I will fucking chop your head off. And, dude, I threw a lot of spears into the into the shadows. Some of them hit. <laughs> Some of them were just throwing spears. And I'm just sitting there fucking sharpening other ones. And it was just a waste of time. You know, I'm glad I learned that. And huge shout out to AJ Cortez. He was the one that kind of helped me bridge that in my mind. But, you know, that, that imagery you said on just disarming yourself, save that for when you need it. You know, there's no need to deal with the, the breeze. But these next yeah. two, when it comes to vertical and horizontal, you know, there are a lot of men. And again, get the book. Links below. There are a lot of men who are raised without any code or any example. And when you go through these, you get an understanding of the art and the life force that honor is, you know, and without having that experience, this book could be that starting point for understanding how this works, especially with men. Yeah. There, there's two other kinds of honor. I mean, well, there's first you have your personal honor, which that's your reputation, right? Uh, people say, I need to reclaim my honor or I need to restore honor to my family name. Well, that's your family name's reputation and your reputation. Did you screw up or did your grandpa screw up and just shame the family so bad that your last name is forever just associated with something negative? That, that's the personal honor, right? And that is no more than a reputation of if I am known to the people in my community, and some random new guy shows up and goes, I'm going to go and just, you know, trespass through that guy's yard and climb over his fence and sit down on his patio. And my neighbor goes, I, I wouldn't do that to that guy. That is a reputation. And that is uh, a symptom of what my honor means. And if someone just kept doing that, well, I might as well just let the whole block walk over and eat all the food out of my fridge. That bridges into the reflexive honor. Now, with horizontal honor and vertical honor, first the thing that has to exist is the horizontal honor. And that is when we'll use you and I, for example. If we belong to the same tribe, which we do, we're both members of the Fraternity of Excellence. You're co-founder. I'm a member of a couple of years now. We have We each have a reputation which we, we can equate that to a sense of personal honor. Because you live your life and exhibit the behavior of adhering to that code of honor that is expected of our tribe, 
I can hold you in an honorable esteem. It is a mutual peer-to-peer honor, right? I recognize your reputation that you meet all of these standards, whether it be you're one of the guys not to fuck with, you're one of the guys that I can come to for help, you're the guy that I can come to to show me how to hunt, hunt and trap food in the desert, whatever those things may be. I offer my esteem and loyalty and recognition of your reputation as I'm honoring you and I'm recognizing your honor. It's peer-to-peer acknowledgement of esteem and reputation. Now, vertical honor, that comes next, and that can't exist without horizontal honor. Vertical honor would be, for example, your tribal chieftain. In this case, it would be uh, you and Craig and the FOE elders, as it were, the, the guys who are just running the show and making sure that everybody's where they need to be, getting what they need to get. Vertical honor is afforded to an individual who has risen to an exceptional level of skill or mastery of the things required to be afforded that horizontal honor. So you've met the reputation. uh, You've met the standard of the code of honor, which gave you the horizontal honor. And then you took that a step further and you elevated to a higher mastery of those things to the point where everybody recognizes you as one of the chiefs of the tribe. That is vertical honor. The guy that you look up and say, I'll follow that guy, you're affording him vertical honor. But you would never afford him vertical honor unless he, at the very least, met horizontally. So for me, when I see leaders such as politicians, police officers that think the badge gives them power, you know, and, and of course, not all police officers that way, but we know exactly the kind I'm talking about. The ones who are the the powerless kids who got a badge and now they want to throw their weight around. Anybody in any leadership position that got there, whether it be by luck or a small measure of merit, and then at that point decided that the title means more than their work. And they try to live on their title alone. Well, I'm the so-and-so. Yeah, but you're not doing shit, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's when I can no longer afford this person vertical honor. You might be good enough to be one of us, but you're not good enough. You're not good enough for me to say I'll follow that guy. And that's what we see a lot of with the politicians, right? They stand up there. Well, the president said, I don't care who said it. If he's not living up to what I consider a metric and standard of behavior on how a man should carry himself. I don't care if he has the the hashtag God beside his title. We're not, I'm not going to follow this guy. And that's where a lot of people sadly get stuck in. Well, he's got this title. I have to follow him. You really don't. I mean, you can do it begrudgingly if it's, you know, you, okay, he's your boss. He's also a dipshit. You know more than he does, but your boss is the, is the owner's son and you got to play this game. You can do that. And I understand that's an extenuating kind of circumstance that everybody will run into. But in general, for the most part, you're still not willingly following this guy. You're following this guy because you don't have another choice until you leave that company and go somewhere else. But vertical honor is is for the leaders, the ones that you've chosen to look up to and follow, who has 
and, and, and it doesn't have to be a, a universal vertical honor. He's just better at hunting. So I, I afford him vertical honor because I'm a terrible hunter. And he affords me vertical honor because I'm better at building houses. And we both need to hunt and both need to build houses. So we offer each other vertical honor, depending on the, the skill required that which one of us has a greater mastery of. You know, do you think that that is one of the the bigger issues that men are facing? You know, there's a lot, but when I look at it, you know, one is spirit, mental, physical, and spiritual weakness across the board. But hearing this, as you were saying that, I'm realizing that might be one of the largest issues, and it's sort of twofold. One, that men aren't discriminating. They're just saying, I must respect everybody because everybody's equals and we're all peers because of the message that's been pumped out. And two... You know, men, they find themselves where it, it has to be my way. We're going to do it this. And they never, there are times where I've gone to you. Dude, I've been doing this longer than you, but I need, you're doing this better than me. Hey, how did you do that? Hey, Jeff. And then it puts you in the driver's seat. Some men never experience that growth because they'll never let somebody else drive and, and then shift from leader to follower. And we've had an ebb and flow for so long. I mean, there's shit you've done. I've never done. There's things I've done. You've never done. So there's sort of a, it's like a lava lamp. Some you're up, then you're down, then you're up, then you're down. And I think those two things are robbing men of the ability to connect with men and to optimize their life experience. Well, I look at it like, like, uh, like a seesaw, right? It, we're each on an end of it. And there's some things I excel at that you don't. And there's some things that you excel at that I don't, but we we're always meeting as equals on that plane with that horizontal honor. Now I completely fall off the bus. Well, I mean, it's not, the physics aren't going to work, but if I fall off and you're, you know, you're going to stay up here, right? You're still, you're, you're already here. Cause I've fallen off the complete standard. So maybe a seesaw wasn't the greatest. Actually, no, example. that's perfect. Because if you jump off, I can't go higher. I just lost somebody that could lift me up. Yeah, that works too. I got you back. as peers affording each other that horizontal honor. And it's in that mutual respect that I can recognize things that you're better at. You can recognize things that I'm better at. And it is this give and take. And when I recognize that you're better at something, to me, I will elevate you to a position of at least skill superiority in that thing. And then vice versa. But we can't get there and we can never be at that point unless we share a horizontal honor with each other and we recognize each other's reputation, each other's skill, each other's mastery, and each other's honor. You see, and I think in there we should be discriminatory. You know, oh, I, I don't listen to doctors because they have a white lab coat. You know, Jay Campbell says the almighty lab coat. You know, the doctor said I should take these pills. Well, you don't have to take them. The doctor said I should wear this mask. You don't need to wear that. The doctor said I should stand on my head. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, the doctor said the doctor isn't the isn't God. It doesn't, like you said, the hashtag God. Your politician doesn't run you. And I think, you know, in case anybody missed it, when you said that you're breaking 20 rules right now, you follow the ones that adhere to you and your people. This goes back to what we were saying earlier about brotherhood and your tribe. I follow, and you once put this out there. Would you do something if it benefited your people, but not others or something along those lines? And I was like, fuck yes, because I can only help mine and I don't have to worry about everybody else. And I'm not going to listen to everybody else because they're not my people. 
And I think people are so focused on not discriminating or placing a standard on others that that's what's causing their, their, their shithole of a life is they're, they're not putting quality individuals around themselves and they're not getting rid of the bad ones saying, you don't meet my standard. You are not good enough. Come back when you get better or start learning from me. And then I'll, I'll try to help elevate you. Right. Because if you were to come to me and say, Hey, I need to learn from you. That automatically would make me respect you and honor you. And at least the way that this guy's humble enough to know that he needs to, he needs help moving forward. Right. But what I, when you mentioned, you know, about what I, uh, would you do something that benefited you and your people, but not others? What I was talking about was the difference between master morality and slave morality. Now, nobody likes those two words, but are you a master of yourself or are you a slave to the greater good? And the greater good is one of those things that has to always be put into quotes because there's nothing that is equally good for everyone, right? Slave morality is utilitarian morality. Slave morality is one of those things where if it benefits pretty much everyone, I'm okay with it being the status, even if it's hurting my people, it's still good for more people than it is bad for people. And they take that as a, like, again, a very utilitarian point of view. The master morality is the one who can sit there and say, this is really good for me and my family, but it's screwing over some family over there that I've never met and I've never heard of, and I'm never going to see and are never going to be affected by, and it's still good. Because that's how everything works, right? If we, we all like to talk about how there's enough room on the ladder for everyone. We all like to say there's a, a, a big enough, a, the, the pie is big enough for everybody to get a piece. And that is true to a certain point. But if it, it's that back to that seesaw, if something's going up over here, something has to be coming down over here, whether it be directly related or not, something is still going down over here to cause this thing to rise. That's the leverage part of it. The trolley problem is probably one of the most commonly used uh, thought exercises to get people to determine uh, where they sit on a moral standpoint. And the trolley problem is that one where you have the five guys working on the railroad tracks over here. And you've got the one guy working on the railroad tracks over here. The train is barreling down and it's going to hit these five guys. Now, you can't yell at them and you can't save them and tell them to get out of the way. You have a choice. You have to throw the switch, which will cause the train to shift and start going and just run over that one guy and save those five guys, which is the utilitarian thing to do. There's more of them. So mathematically, we would be able to justify letting one person die to save five. That, that works as a species preservation mechanism, right? We saved more of them. To me, it's different. Would I let the train hit those five guys? Maybe. Would I let the train hit that one guy? Maybe. It really depends on how much I like either of those guys. <laughs> Dude. I'm, 
It, it, it sounds terrible. No, no. But, as you said that in my head, I was like, well, what if that one dude working was he He was the dude? He was a father, stand up dude, squared away, doing his fucking thing. He's been a great worker forever. And those five are a bunch of pedophiles who were just let out on work release and they're going to die in prison anyway. Does that change the story? Exactly. People with some lives are worth more than others. And what if all six individuals are all fathers and all hard workers? Well, it depends. Yeah. Is that father and that hard worker that's standing over there by himself, is he a member of my tribe? Does he provide value to all of my people? Would all of my people and all of my tribe in some way be handicapped by the loss of him? Well, then I'm letting it hit those five dudes. There's five families that, and this is what a lot of people look at me and go, that's a very monstrous thing to say, right? But if, if there, someone's going to die anyway, from a biological and evolutionary standpoint, I would much rather the people that died be people that I did not know or care about. They're not my people. They're not my problem. What I mean, if, if I can save them without being a detriment to my own tribe, sure, I would do the right thing. Would I throw the switch and let the train barrel off into oblivion without ever hitting anyone to save them? Obviously, I'm going to save five dudes and preserve five families and keep, you know, five sets of children, you know, uh, having a father in their lives. But I have the ability, and I think more people should have the ability to go, yeah, I can save these five people, preserve these five families and keep these five sets of kids with fathers in their lives by letting this guy die over here, which is going to damn near cripple our entire, our entire tribe because of what he contributes to it. And say, no, those five over there can die. It sucks. It really sucks. But I have to look out for my people. I have to look out for those that share my values, that are the ones that I can rely on because I would obviously want that honor and that esteem being reciprocated horizontally. Would that guy save me over these five over here? And everybody likes to do that. Well, I would be the noble guy that said, no, save those five. No, the hell you wouldn't. You say that now until you've got a train getting ready to be shoved up your ass. Yeah. Then you have a different story. It's just that it's not popular and it is not it doesn't feel good to say it, right? And there's a lot of people who are probably going to listen to what I just said and be like, I can never, ever follow this guy again because of what he just said. But it's the reality of how all humans operate. They will operate the same way. Because the next phase of the trolley problem is, well, now you're, if you chose to save the five dudes and let the train hit the one guy, well, now the next stage is, well, what if that one guy is your son or your brother or your wife or your sweet little old grandma? Are you going to let the train hit her? Are you going to pull the switch and kill your granny, your son, your daughter, your wife? Or are you just going to let it blow on through and kill these five people? Obviously, you're going to save your son. Sucks to be those five guys, but I'm saving mine. And that is exactly what I was talking about with that first scenario. Those five people 
they're not mine. That one over there is, I'm going to save mine. I'm going to look out for mine. I'm going to give preferential treatment to mine. And that's where people get stuck with what you were talking about of, well, the president said this, well, the doctor said this. Their title doesn't matter. These people over here could have all been great politicians. I don't care if it's my brother who happens to be a shit bird. Uh, and all he does is jerk off and play video games all day. I'm still probably going to save him because he's my damn brother. I don't care about these five politicians and doctors over here that were going to cue like butt cancer or some shit. I don't care. Saving my brother. It's not what people would look at as utilitarian because humans aren't utilitarian. We're human. You know, we, we, we thrive on following our biological instincts. No, obviously we have rationality and being able to be pragmatists, but at the end of the day, you start rejecting everything about you that makes you, you, you become one of these mindless drones and cogs that just because the magic box says you have to wrap your whole body in saran wrap and stay inside for a year. So you don't get a cough. You're, that's where you end up. And that's what we saw this past 2020 and most of 2021 already. You know, as this is not a fun conversation, but it's absolutely necessary because the point absolutely needs to be delivered. And if we avoid it, you know, how are we any better than others who will avoid, you know, the, the plate against masculinity, the, the deconstruction of families, People don't want to talk about that. They certainly don't want to talk about this, but it's still necessary. And it's still, that's, that's why I run this podcast the way I do. You know, I watched your live stream yesterday uh, with uh, Will, uh, Ren of Men. And mm-hmm. Will Spencer. The, I couldn't think of his last name. Thank you. Will Spencer. And you guys broke down several aspects of being a man, you know, thriving in, in the modern world, still hanging on to what some view as primal, you know, instincts and primal, um, codes you know and it's it's crazy to think that we can sort of outwire or or update ourselves from who we actually are like oh there's something wrong with you jeff you just need an update you need to update yourself to version 20.21 no there's nothing wrong with me there's nothing wrong with you you know this conversation needs to be had because this is the world we're living in these are the rules these are the things that are going on and What's interesting is I, I recently did a podcast with Phil Foster, a mutual acquaintance of ours, FOE man. And in it, we were talking about judgment and how, you know, he's, he's in the fitness realm. He's supplements, training, all of it. And he was talking about how people will judge you off your appearance, off, off your lack of mass or, you know, the, the mass that you carry, the, the strength. How, you, how do you look? People are going to judge that. And we need to stop saying that's a bad thing because that's a good thing. You know, our eyes, that's one of our greatest senses. We observe, we're always judging. We're judging the food. We're judging our, our materials. We're judging each other right now through body language. You know, there's so much to judging and how it's good for you that the demonization of it is causing people to repress one of their greatest strengths. You know, when you can judge someone, you can tell that person makes choices that align with a healthy body. That probably means they care about things or have discipline. You know, when you can judge someone, you're able to put them into sort of a box in your mind. And that's a person who's good at this. That's a person I can call on or count on for that. These things that will help you elevate yourself. 
if you never judge, you got to stop being surprised when you find yourself being compromised or placed in, in situations where you're not on the strongest foundation, you know, and that, that plays really well to chapter six, you know, which is structural integrity. You know, you, you directly, and I fucking love it, man. Like I'm a huge fan of this book and yours, obviously, but I fucking love the way you very directly say the thing nobody wants to talk about, which is, I think the exact quote was the empire has no need for the independent masculine man. When I read that, I put the book down. I was like, God damn it. I'm not good for society. <laughs> like I'm not good for the people that they want lined up doing these mass things. My friends are horrible for this plan. They're trying to implement. We are not what they want. And yet that's what we're trying to build. And that's what we're trying to help others wake up to. So could you speak to the lack of necessity or how the empire does not need the independent minded individual? And then we can sort of play into the white horse, dark horse of the chariot. Well, yesterday uh, you know, on the live stream, when I was talking to Will, one of the things that we were talking about uh, was if you get a group of guys all together and these guys start to form relationships, bonds of brotherhood, friendship, whatever you want to call it, they're immediately going to become more loyal to each other because that's just the way we biologically are than they are to these people over here they've never done these things with or interacted with or even the country. You know, one of the worst things that ever happened to men was when relationships between men, you know, started becoming the butt of a joke, especially with uh, when homosexuality became uh, a little more mainstream and you had the guys who were just used to go out and hang with the bros. I mean, look, you, watch, look at the movie Rocky, right? Uh, no, no, it was Rocky Two. It was Rocky Two. Rocky's wearing the short shorts. Apollo's wearing the short shorts. They got the crop tops on. They're jogging through the ocean, and then they wrap each other up in a big hug. You look at that through a lens of today, and someone's like, "Man, that's that, that's uh, that's pretty gay." No, it wasn't. It's two brothers, right, that have battled in the same arena, and they've spilled each other's blood and they respect the shit out of each other that have grown to you, you like I'm pointing at you right now. Just, mm, that feeling is not even really articulate. You're not even really able to articulate it. Right. You'll give that fucker a hug. When people started noticing that, you know, homosexual became more mainstream. It wasn't this dark, scary little thing that, you know, they made illegal and punishable by jail time and death and all this other. And it came mainstream and people started realizing, well, okay, this is just how some people are. Right. And it wasn't as hidden as it was more and more heterosexual men became very, very afraid of even being thought of as a homosexual. Right. Especially right at that crux of, Oh, by the way, believe it or not, gay people exist. Ta-da. You know, they didn't want to be associated as one of them. And that, well, well, I'm, I'm, you've been spending an awful lot of time with Pete, Jerry. Uh, are you sure you're not? Well, guess what? I ain't hanging out with fucking Pete no more. You know, that's how it happened. And these relationships between men who were nothing more than brothers in arms in that 
in, in, a, in a certain way that mattered to them, whether they played ball together or worked the mines together or built bridges together, fought in a war together. That the closeness and the intimacy in that relationship was then obviously looked at in a different way when people started throwing fingers out about that, well, homosexuality is bad and this and that and the other. And then you had the insecure men who didn't want to go against the social status quo and be even associated with that sort of thing. And it just developed from there. Even today, you know, people see you and I palling back and forth. Ah, Zach and Jeff have a bromance going on. Yeah, it's funny. We go with it. But it goes deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that because the term bromance came out as a mocking term for two dudes that were spending too much time together because Susie the dishwasher over here was getting mad that he didn't want to go and pick out doilies and linen and window treatments with her. Oh, he's got a bromance going on with him. No, he has a brotherhood that he wants to be a part of and show that his men that he has in his circle that he still honors them and he still attributes himself to being one of them. But it came out as a mocking and derogatory statement. That's why the empire does not need the independent masculine man, because the independent masculine man is also intradependent on his tribe of other independent minded masculine men. And he's going to be more loyal to them than he is anybody else. You know, it's. Put in the most simple terms, it's the bros before hoes thing, right? If America needs my help right now, but you need my help too, America's coming second, Zach. And that's where it is. Because of that, the empire recognizing this, that they can never get these men who are naturally honor bound to a code that they have established among themselves to submit to this authority and completely rely on the benevolent kindness of the empire to give them everything they need in exchange for a little bit of their self-respect and a little bit of that independence and a little bit of that sovereignty, you know, get on your knees and I'll feed you. They can't get that kind of compliance from a guy who's got bros that will back him up. Nah, bro. You don't know how to hunt? I know how to hunt. You'll never go hungry. Oh, the government said you're not allowed to go into the stores anymore because you don't want a uh, 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 an experimental vaccine shoved up your ass? Cool, don't worry. I, my wife's got a medical condition. She'll do all the shopping for both families. They don't want that kind of loyalty. They want everyone to be isolated to where they have to depend on them. And that's why they've got no need for Men like you, they've got no need for men like me. They've got no men, no need for the men of the Fraternity of Excellence or any of the other groups out there like Jack Murphy's Liminal Order. They don't have any need for those kind of men because those kind of men are the very thing that throw a monkey in the wrench for their entire plan of you need us. We don't need you. So get on your knees and do what we say. You know, I'm going to drive this a little bit further with the perimeter. You've been living in this world. The next book's coming out soon, I hope, as someone banging on the door waiting to get my next copy. You wrote a book called The Perimeter. I don't want to go too deep into exactly that. Specifically to this conversation on men needing this sense of connection and this sense of brotherhood 
and the empire working as best it can to compromise that and to prevent it from occurring, how can we best expand the perimeter to bring those men in who need this more than ever? But right now they're, they're still caught in the machine. They're still a cog. Well, the funny thing is the world that you and I live in now that you've been living in for much longer than I have. I didn't learn about it until 2019 when I got a Twitter account. Really, there's dudes like this out here. There's dudes that write about masculinity. There's dudes that talk about being a better man, a better husband, a better father. And it, it, I don't have to get that from Barnes and Noble's chicken soup for the dad soul. I don't have to get that. No bullshit. That is, I was, I was amazed that this world existed. I'd never heard of Jordan Peterson because I didn't have a social media presence. You know, my, my world was very small. You know, I didn't have social media and all this. I think I had a, a Facebook page with like 12 people I went to high school with as friends. And that was it. Hey, look, funny cat meme here. That was the end of social media for me. I never went further than that because I didn't, I just didn't have a need for it until I was starting a company and running a business. And I realized, man, there's a whole bunch of stuff I didn't even know. I, I was basically like a dinosaur, right? I was the boomer that that's just mad because he can't figure out how to use the chip reader, right? That, that was me. Uh, what I got on, but there's more people out there that are like that now, right? There's people out there right now who've never heard of the family alpha. There's people out there who've never heard of Jordan Peterson. There's people out there who've never heard of Jocko Willink, and he's definitely more popular than either of us. You know, they're more popular than Jack Donovan, who, when we were in Florida, some dude slammed on the brakes in the middle oh, of the damn street. <laughs> That will never not be a cool story. That will never not be a cool story, right? Random human slams on the brakes in the middle of the freaking highway and starts talking to Jack because, hey, I love your work. There's people out there who've never heard of him. The only way, I mean, we have our own uh, echo chambers, right? You know, we've got the FOE. Well, what if the men of the FOE only talked about becoming a better man, a better father, a better husband, better at business, better at fitness, better at life, with the men of the FOE, and we never brought in new members. Well, then we're going to be a really badass, but really small tribe. Right now, we don't need to make the tribe super huge. But what we do need to do is tell everybody out here so that we don't eventually just be the only ones like ourselves. We become this fringe culture of really men acting like men. That is so 100 years ago. We don't become that. We have to take the message out, which is why you do what you do, which is why I do what I do. That's why I write. Some random dude that has never heard of being a man, being good at being a man, who's never heard or who, who, who thinks that honor is some concept found in a book or a movie. You're going to read my work. They're going to read your work or Jack Donovan's work or Jack Murphy's work or Tanner Guzzi's work or Jordan Peterson, Jocko Willings, he's going to read their work and their books and go, holy shit. And it's going to change their life. There's tons of people out there that are one book, one podcast, one YouTube video, one tweet, one Facebook post, one blog post away from having their eyes open to a world they didn't even know existed. If we just stay within these little circles, well, we're not going to go out and we're not going to say what we want to say too loud because the people over here that are not members of our tribe are going to get offended and then they're going to yell at us and they're going to start cussing bitch block them and then keep talking 
because the, the next guy might need to hear it. The guy behind him might need to hear it. But people become cowards and they, they, the perimeter is a great thing. You definitely want to build these border walls and fires around your people to make sure that this modernity and the death cult of modern society doesn't come in and start stripping everything from you. And, and all of a sudden, the people you cared about are looking around saying nothing means anything. So we might as well just become fat, porno loving slobs. And not give a crap about how our kids are raised and not give a crap about the, the men and women our kids become. You definitely need to protect against those things. But there's more to the perimeter than just defending it. You have to expand it. There's an entire world out there that, that hasn't had a light cast on it yet. And unless you want to be the only little dot in the dark, the little dot of light right there in the dark, you don't want that. Because eventually that's going to get extinguished and overrun because there will be no way to defend it. You're going to have to leave those perimeters carrying a little bit of that light with you, lighting the torch off of that freaking perimeter fire and walking out there into the darkness and setting up a damn outpost and recruiting members to man it. Guys, now you're over here. Now you're over here. Think of it like you have the FOE here, the liminal order here, the uh, order of man and the iron council over here. They're just outposts from the one big main idea. Whoever the father, the who we, we could consider the the uh, the proto masculine group, right? I guess we could call that men. But there's these outposts around it that defend it, that go a little bit further and build more outposts and spread messages. It's it's evangelism, but for the soul. And not so much on the spiritual side, but for the masculine soul. It's evangelism for thumos. And that's what we have to do. We have to evangelize. You know, we have to spread the message of what it means to be a good man, a good husband, a good father, a provider, a protector, a presider. We have to do those things because if we don't, eventually the idea of it all is going to die because we never gave it to anybody else to carry on. You know, we frequently have these conversations and I don't think the listeners understand how serious this goes, how deep this goes and why we do what we do. You know, I think that was a great, you, you pulled the curtain back a little bit for people to see what it is that has the fuel, why we keep showing up and doing what we do, you know, and, and I do want to push it a little bit further. You know, that was, that's that was why we're here. That's why we're spreading. It was a great rant, man. But, but more so than that, that, that was from the soul. You know, and when it comes to the perimeter and expanding it, which is something that's weighing on me, not weighing on me, but it's something that I'm thinking of more than I used to. You know, I've been listening to a lot of the live streams you've been doing, a lot of the content you've been dropping, and it, it sort of has me seeing my role in this. I fully understand what I'm doing and, and why I'm doing what I do, but the importance of going further and continuing it forward. It's not just cool. I get to podcast for a living. It, it, it's so much more. It's so much grander. The men who are waking up, the families that are changing, you know, but there's always the ones that come into this and it, it almost doubles them down into the opposite direction, if you will. You know, not that they're darker. They're by the light. They see the reality for what it is, but then they sort of shut down with anger and, and anger is okay. I've been an angry individual and that anger fueled me to become the best individual I could be. So I'm not demonizing anger here, but what I'm saying is they get stuck with that anger. And in the book, you speak about you know, when you see the light and you become cognizant of what's happening and anybody listening to this podcast at this literal point, you have no excuse. We're six chapters in 
you know, you know exactly you're awake enough to make a change. But Jeff, you talk about the chariot, you talk about the white horse and the dark horse and how that leads to legacy and how your legacy, it can be determined by which horse you're choosing to follow, which direction you're choosing to go. And unfortunately, some men, when they open their eyes, they don't like what they see so much that they just decide to not even play the game. I'm out. I don't want to help the perimeter. I don't want to expand the perimeter. I'm just fucking angry and I can't help myself. How do you speak to those gentlemen? And and before you even go specifically to those stuck in that nihilistic view, how the white horse, the dark horse, what do they mean to you? Well, in the book, I referenced uh, what Plato defined as the elements of man, which uh, is represented by a chariot. You have three parts. You have the white horse, which represents thumos. And I mentioned that earlier. There's no real one English word that's good enough to describe what thumos is. You know, the ancient Greeks called it the, the, the seat of life. You know, it was that primordial, primal fire that just resists. It's intangible. You can't see it. You know it's there. You can tell when someone has lost it vigor of of life that you see in a man right it's that that it's the right it's the source of righteous indignation when you slam your fist down i won't stand for this it's that that is thumos and then you have the dark horse which is i think in in his book fire in the dark which my book came out before he did his did. So I got credit for saying this first, but, <laughs> but in his book, um, he described it. Uh, and I believe this is what Freud called the id, just ID. And that is basically appetite and the, 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 the animalistic nature of I'm horny. I'm hungry. I want to live. Right. Nothing more than that. I want to feel good. I want to fuck and I want to eat those things that become the driving forces of everything now. Right. You, you mentioned this nihilistic point of view and that's where we're at. Well, nothing means anything as long as I can get off, get a greasy burger and I'm not being chased down the street and murdered by whoever or whatever. Everything is fine. That is the attitude of the dark horse. That dark horse is chaos. That dark horse is that one thing in you, in me, in every other man out there that needs to be balanced by the white horse. Because that dark horse will pull you right off a cliff. I mean, if you think about it in the most extreme terms, it's the dude who just keeps shooting up heroin more and more and more until he completely ODs. It feels good. He doesn't give a shit about anything. It's an ecstasy kind of feeling all over. And then you, you just die. You go right off that cliff. The white horse is also a terrible, terrible thing to be left to run completely alone. Because then you're like that other guy that we were talking about before, where, what? He insulted me online? How dare the knave? I challenge you. No, you don't. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, fuck you. You're blocked. Boom. But it doesn't require every ounce of your masculinity and every ounce of your virtue and honor and strength to be placed on the line because some dude with a cat emoji as a face 
called you a name, right? That's where the charioteer comes in. The charioteer is the, the human mind and reason that balances the bridge between his righteous indignation and the fuck it feels good kind of mentality. And if you don't have all three of those, and that's what I mean by structural integrity, everybody always thinks, uh, you know, integrity. Well, you do the right thing when no one's looking. But when you think about the structural integrity of a building or the structural integrity of a bridge, the rule is if it moves, it's fucking broken. And we talk about that a lot in the FOE is about being the oak. The oak don't move. The reason oak trees have been associated with the God of thunder, I mean, Donner's oak, the thunderer's oak, you know, was a thing before St. Boniface had it torn down and made it to a church, but that's a whole different podcast and a whole different story. But the reason that the oak tree has always been associated with thunder and strength and power is because when that damn thing gets hit by lightning, it doesn't bend and move and sway or split. That thing explodes because it is so well put together. It is so hardened that no matter what you do to it, without some devastating celestial force like lightning, the thing's not coming apart. Lightning hits an oak, it explodes. There's even a theory that that's where the first controlled fire ever came was lightning hit an oak and caveman picked it up and went, and it, hey, cool. Now we have fire. That's what I mean by structural integrity. How well a man is put together. Does he have all three components? Does he know himself enough to say, yeah, I'm going to live and I'm going to enjoy the fine dining and the, the nice clothes and the nice house and the comforts of everything that I have worked for while also maintaining a hard line on his honor and his self-respect and the honor he shows to his peers and his tribe and then being able to discern between the two of them. Either one of those three is neglected or left out. It's a three-legged stool. It's not going to stand. And that's why I wanted to go a step further with one of the one of the masculine virtues and the noble virtues in Norse paganism are the nine the first nine chapters of my book. But integrity, I mean, it's if you think about it from just do the right thing when no one's looking, it's kind of been beat to death. Duh, do the right thing. Now, more than that, how it relates to a man, a man's integrity is more so of just his word being the only thing that he can never have taken from him. And his word is the thing that has to be given away by him. His structural integrity and how well he's put together depends on how well he's going to stand out there in that field. But here's the cool thing. You have a single oak standing on a, on a hill in a lightning storm. That lightning hits that oak. That oak explodes. You have a, because oaks do not conduct electricity very well, which is why they explode. You have a grove of oaks on this hill. Lightning can strike all damn day. You're going to get some debris. You're going to get some, maybe a lucky hit. 
but in all likelihood that grove will survive that storm because it's standing together and using the oaks imagery as being the most well put together and most structurally integritous thing on that damn hill you put all those things together all a group of well put together men possessing all of their elements and in complete knowledge and control of every part of their being it's hard to take them down and that's why the empire doesn't want that to happen that's why the empire does not want the upright man and i talk about this in, in my new book the perimeter the empire does not want the upright man to become the upright men it's very well said you know again the imagery can't be beat you need to make movies dude <laughs> <laughs> Just capturing, like I can see it. I, I see what you're saying, and it's it just makes it even more powerful. You know, for those listening, it's important that you remember this is all done through action. You know, we you can get I'm the oak, but are you? When when times get hard, do you run or do you stand your ground? When COVID came, what did you do? Did you scatter? Did you hide? Did you live with extreme scarcity? Or did you say, finally, <laughs> the fight's here. I've been prepping for this. Let's do it. And jump in the ring with a smile on your face, living abundantly when the whole world lost its mind. You know, I think a lot of men learned a lot about themselves this year, you know, but it was through action. Action defines that. Action makes you the oak and it makes you the rock in all areas. You know, you're an excellent man. And if I were to say, hey, you know, I, I see the videos on Instagram. I see you working out. All right, cool. I see this dude publishing books. That's excellent. Professionally, you're crushing it. Physically strong. What a lot of people don't see, but I, I, I have the privilege to see, the interactions with your family, the engagements with your children, having a good time with your wife. Very few men can be who they are online with their family in a public setting in front of other men. You know, when you talk about the oak and rock, that, that jumped out to me for the sake that my wife recently had shoulder surgery. First time she ever went down through anesthesia. And when she woke up, the first thing she said is, where is my husband? And I was like, damn, 18 years together. The first thought after coming out, like back into the world, where's Zach? That's the type of men. That's who you want to be in other people's lives. Your friends' lives included. Shit's hitting the fan. Who can I talk to? Who should I call? Who will answer the phone? So when you go to that point and you reach the ground to where you're like, you know, that's the guy. That's when you're the oak. It's easy up here to tell yourself you are, but you have to live it. Your actions have to, you have to embody those values that you're sharing. You know, in this, again, going to chapter seven, we're talking about determination. I think, you know, and I've spent a lot of thoughts on this because when, when I read it again, another point in the book where I put it down on my flight, I kind of just stared at the seat in front of me. When you said that many of us who have this, this old school soul, we're, we're aligned with old school honor, we're aligned with these quote unquote old school lessons of the hard docs that our grandfathers lived. You know, we like that shit. I like being outdoors. I don't like sitting in front of a TV. I'm able to have this podcast with you. But dude, if you want to go like hiking and just sit in the freaking middle of the woods, I want to do that too. And I'd rather do that and have this conversation there. That's sort of where I go. You know, but I've got that sense of determination. Many men, and in the book you say, they feel as though they were born too late to explore the world and they were born too early to explore the universe. And now all they can do is impart their will on the world they have today. And that, that right there, I think speaks to the greatest calling of men. When they talk about action, look, dude, you're not, you're most likely not going to be Rambo in the book. You say, you're probably not going to go out in a blaze of glory, like the berserker on the bridge or fighting off a horde of Mongolians. Maybe, 
and for your sake, I hope so. Go out like good, have that honorable death. But I yeah, doubt it, you know, I, I, I doubt it a, a lot with the world we're living in today. So what we are presented with and the choice we do have is to not give up, but to rather, all right, I don't have seas to cross to find new countries and I'm not going to balance an interplanetary system. So what am I going to do? I'm going to make the motherfucking world I'm immersed in mine. And that's the world I'm going to impart. And it's weird how you and I have such a different universe and world we live in compared to many of our contemporaries, not our peers. Our peers are also crafting themselves in a great way, but a lot of people our age are, are in a world that we cannot relate to. And we do not understand happy wife, happy life. Oh, my job's got me by the balls, all these things. And I'm like, that is not my fucking life experience because of the actions I've taken. So when you were writing this chapter, what, what did you have in mind when it comes to determination and why that word? Well, like I said before, the, the first nine chapters of the book, because there's only 10 chapters, very short. The first nine chapters of the book are the nine noble virtues of Norse paganism. Determination is one of those things that we, uh, that we, will, we look at and go, well, he's very determined. He was not going to let anything stop him. But there's another definition. There's the scientific determination. There's the analytical determination. If you look right here on my wall, I've got Ernest Shackleton's ship, the Endurance, trapped in the ice, 1915. I've got July 21st, front page, 1969, man walks on the moon. Exploring the world and exploring space to an extent. Right. And he got as far as we could possibly go with actual humans. Neil did. Good job, bud. But it's going to be a while before I could follow in those two, two footsteps. And I'm way too far ahead to follow in Ernest Shackleton's footsteps. But this is something else that was also mentioned yesterday when I was talking with Will Spencer. There's another place you can explore. It's here. It's here inside you. That is the the unknown and untamed and wild landscape for every man it's within himself determination means coming to a conclusion you have to are have you been determined by yourself by your peers to be a man by their definition of man and i don't mean you just got you know, twigs and giggleberries. I mean, are you what I would call a man's man, a man? Have you been determined as one? I determined this to be a bed by the way it looked. I determined this. I determined him, you, that guy over there. I determined them to be men. I, have you determined yourself as a man? That self-determination? Have you determined yourself as yourself and who you are and what you are? A lot of people spend their entire lives being something that they think they have to be, but never ever become what more of what they already are. It's an image on TV. It's an image in a magazine. It's a lyric in a song or something from a play or a movie or a book they read. It's some imaginary 
intangible thing that's just it's a concept yeah yeah yeah. I, of course i can do what rambo does i don't even know why what why they're making a big deal i would have knocked conor mcgregor out he said from his couch you, you know it, it's that thing have you been determined to be what you say you are have you even determined what the hell you are to begin with or are you just going through and living as what they say you are so it goes much deeper than just a drive to never quit and never give up. It's a quest to figure out just what the hell you are. Because a lot of people don't even know what the hell they are. A lot of people don't care what the hell they are. They're just they're just on that dark horse being dragged over the cliff until it's all over. Because whatever feels good, whatever smells good, whatever tastes good, whatever tickles their balls, that's where they're going to be. And all those things sound fantastic. But there's more to it than just that. There's no meaning in just all of that. And that's where I wanted to go with this chapter of determination. Figuring out who and what the hell you are. So that way you can become more of it. You know, and I think when you look at it, that's one of the greatest tragedies of our age. You know, how many great men will never be actualized because they never view themselves as having permission to make that choice, to de- decide, to determine their fate. You know, they, they, they never do it. They accept what they were given and they wait for someone to say, it's okay to be a man. But again, the empire doesn't want independent men. So you're never going to get that blessing. And worse more, they, th- they think they need it. You don't need permission. Just go do it. You know, I don't need permission to say I'm going to live my life my way. The government says a lot of the things that I do are considered federal offenses. So I don't recognize your authority in that matter. Will I probably suffer a consequence for it? Maybe, but it's worth it in the meantime. I've made that determination that I'm above them when it comes to what authority I have over certain aspects of my life. You know, in the same way that chapter three went into chapter four with brotherhood and tribalism going into loyalty, very complimentary, you know, chapter seven with determination going into chapter eight, which is discipline. Again, it's, it's, it's a very healthy partnership there. It's very complimentary in the sense that you have to have one before the other to understand loyalty, to understand a brotherhood and to, to have that sense of a tribe, you've got to understand loyalty and vice versa. You know, and the same thing, well, with this determination, but if you lack the discipline, you, you cannot actualize what it is you determined. It, it doesn't work. So to see these two and to dive into this next chapter, which is discipline, you know, it's something that I hope as people are going through this, they're taking notes and not just listening, you know, like, like pay attention, hit pause, reflect, and then sort of stack it in your mind or on the notes to come back to you like, oh, so I've got to do this before that. There is a structure to this. This book is laid out in a very specific manner. And knowing you, it's very intentional, the, the ebb and the flow. Push, push, push. All right, now pull back a little. Now push. These two, though, determination and discipline, again, the, the push is there. And you have to keep pushing. And maybe this part gets a little bit harder in some men because it's uncomfortable. But these uncomfortable truths are necessary. You've got to be pushed to the edge a little bit further, a little bit more. I know we cross the line you're used to. Let's go a little bit further. And that progressive overload is how all of a sudden these men are going to be able to take on so much more than they ever thought capable. And again, they're disciplined. They used to call themselves undisciplined, lacking discipline, lazy, whatever you want to call it. 
Well, now they understand I need this discipline in order to determine this life I want to live. And there's more to it than even just that. There is being disciplined and there is knowing a discipline. Part of being a man is possessing discipline, but manhood is a discipline very much like playing guitar or writing or drawing is a learned and practiced discipline. It's a skill that you have to hone and work at and foster and exercise. It's more than just, well, I'm going to get up at 345 in the morning. I'm going to go work out for an hour. Then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a thousand to 1500 words per day and have that done by 7 a.m. every single day. Yes, it requires self-discipline to do that. But the act of being a man, the act of living as a man, it's a discipline. Knowing how to play the piano means you learned a specific discipline. Knowing how to be a man and behave as a man and walk as a man and talk as a man and interact with other men as a man is a discipline. And the only way you get that is when we take it all the way full circle. And you go back to that loyalty and that brotherhood. You go all the way back there and you see these men that are loyal to each other within a brotherhood and they're exhibiting courage and they're exhibiting strength and they're exhibiting honor. And every single one of them are doing those things because they are all put together very much structurally with a structural integrity that is unbreakable you see that they have learned a discipline and that discipline is man. Jeff, you talk about the discipline of being a man and I've never heard it phrased in such a manner in that we talk about masculinity. Uh, I, I speak a lot about fatherhood, raising up their sons, being that example, but rarely did I think about fatherhood or masculinity in the sense of it being an art. Is that something you came through or you came to the conclusion of as you were doing this research or had you come to this prior to, and this has been interwoven into your entire message the whole time? I think part of it uh, was better articulated to me uh, while I was researching uh, for the book and doing a lot of kind of self-reflection, sitting there pounding my head against the pavement while I was trying to write. Um, but I thought about it. You know, masculinity is in crisis right now. You know, it's hard to find masculine men uh, if you just throw a dart into society, right? You have to pinpoint, okay, that guy. It's not something that is just this natural and inherent thing. And that's part of the argument from like these fourth wave feminists that, you know, they, uh, well, masculinity is a mask. It's a front. They have to try to be masculine so Therefore, masculinity isn't real. I mean, it, it's real. It's just like a woman has to try to be feminine. You know, she's not naturally feminine. It's not something that she just does, you know, feminine behavior and uh, the way that she presents herself. And so it's very much the same with man. We don't walk out of the womb and be like, all right, I'm going to grow a beard. I'm going to swing an axe and I'm going to fight tigers and bears like those other eight or lions, like those 8% of guys think they can win. You know, it's something you have to work on. We, we say it all the time. We have to teach our boys to be masculine. You know, we, we have to foster masculinity. 
Uh, that's one of the things that Ryan Mickler talks about a lot is fostering masculinity in his sons and in other men who did not have masculine influences. You know, if you grew up with just a single mom uh, and you went to a school that had nothing but female teachers and next thing you know, all you've had your entire life is a feminine influence. Now, you'll still have your natural male tendencies, you know, uh, the, the, the biological aspects of it. But it won't be, well, I'm going to present myself in a masculine manner because you've never had anybody to look at and say, that is what masculinity is. That is how a masculine man, ergo the epitome of what a man should be, carries himself. You won't see that. You have to train it. It's just like anything else. It's interesting when you look at it from that perspective, you know, specifically and not, not to go down this avenue as it's a discussion of its own that'll kind of detract from our, our ongoing thread. But when you see the single mothers who are raising these, these young boys and they go to school, public school, which is comprised of, I would say, 95 plus percent women teachers, they will go through most of their life. If, if a male is not inserted into that in, in some fashion through sports or something of that nature, it'll be predominantly women. And yet the blame will be placed at the feet of men when that young man becomes destructive. When he's, when he's fighting, when he's breaking, when he's doing crimes, the statistics are there that support this. This isn't my theory. This isn't a guess. Fatherless homes are filled with a, a large degree of very amplified destructive behaviors in young boys. And you would think that if they were to say, you know, it's, it's, they're saying it's men's fault, but if they looked back, well, you raised this boy. You had him the entire time, and, and he was surrounded by women. And if you could have done better, why did you not? Why do we keep saying, well, it's their fault? The, the father, whether he was there, you know, let me, let me say, whether he chose to be there or whether he was removed from the home or maybe he was just a, a dick and he left his family behind. You know, you can't blame the person who's not there for how something turns out. And the way I see it is you have a choice. You can either say, oh, it's men's fault that, you know, this is bad. But if you do that, you have to also agree that it's men's fault that these boys need men and that's what makes them good. Good examples are what make good men. You can't say it's men's fault. These boys are bad. If you're not also willing to say it's men's and confident men and, you know, the, the masculine men who are living it out and embodying those values, they're what boys need. But if you admit that, you're admitting masculinity is what boys need. And that, I think, is a, a bridge they're not willing to cross because that compromises the entire argument they have set forward on the need of men in young men's lives. Exactly. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Boys are naturally destructive, right? I didn't teach my, you know, my sons when they were kids to take the matchbox cars and smash them together and or pile them up and roll a matchbox car through, you know, a, a stack of toilet paper rolls or whatever. They just do that because that's what we do. We, we impose our strength on something and we make it do whatever we want it to do. Now, you pair that natural and biological tendency with feminine behavior or a woman's behavior who look it is what it is women are emotional actors they act on emotion and feeling much more than any much more than men do you know men we do the if it sounds logical to us we'll do it and yeah we'll get mad and then we'll use logic to justify that anger and then still be destructive right if the only example of behavior a boy has is for 
you know, if his mom or his sister or his grandma or teachers or whatever, they behave in a reaction to emotions and justify their behaviors off of how they feel, not how they uh, put it together using logic. And you pair that with a natural destructive tendency that needs to be controlled. It's like a fire. If you leave it alone, it'll just burn everything down. You rake the coals over and you put some stones around it and give some form to it. You got a campfire you can cook on, you can get warm. But if you just let it do whatever the hell it feels like doing, because of its natural destructive power, it's going to shoot up the school. It's going to beat his wife. It's going to just rebel for the sake of rebelling because it has the power of a fire and it doesn't know what to do with itself and it's got nothing bringing it to order. And it just is what it is. There's nobody out there that's uh, ever lived with a woman that doesn't, it, can, they can't acknowledge this. There's no women that can't be honest with themselves and not acknowledge this. They are reactive. They are emotional. And that is what we love about them because they are everything that we're not. They, they complete the other half of the circle and we're complementary to each other in that way. But you can't take our natural tendencies and what is like hardwired into our DNA and through millions of years of evolution of having to hunt and kill and fight and break and say, now you can be this reactive emotional thing and expect everything to turn out right. There needs to be an example of somebody else who has that exact same, the, the exact same fire, the exact same, you know, energy and potential for destruction who figured out how to keep it under control and says, no, 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 this works better so that you don't end up, you know, jacked up later on in life. Do what I do. Well, that example of control and that term you use there, control, when you go to an MMA gym, any martial arts gym, you're walking into a place of combat, yet you will not find more control or order anywhere else. And why is that? Because there is an example of you're not just here to throw a punch, you're going to throw the right punch. And we're going to train how to throw that punch. You're not just going to learn these skills, you're going to learn when to use these skills, the proper time to unleash all these lessons you've learned. And if you make a mistake, you will be beaten. <laughs> if you get out of line, you will fall into order. And that is controlling the fire. A lot of men have found salvation through that because of the single moms, because of the the large repression of masculinity where they're holding in all that that anger, that 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 raw energy of what a man is, you know, that fire, if you will. They can go somewhere, they can release it in a controlled manner. And when you go back to the discipline of being a man, I couldn't help but think of all the jujitsu guys, all the karate guys, all the Muay Thai, the judo guys, the UFC guys, you know, through all these things, my, watching my son go through boxing, he carries himself better because he's been punched in the face. And now he's not going to go and randomly punch people in the face because he understands and respects the punch because a man who harnessed that control and power showed him what right looked like. You don't just go swinging. If you fight, you're going to fight all the way, but you shouldn't be going all the way in all the time. You need to pick and choose these battles. And it's as much of a mental game as it is physical. So in that, with your discipline of it being, you know, masculinity being an art, it, it coincides so well with the art of painting, with the art of, you know, combat sports, with many other arts out there, in that it takes a lot of work. You don't just raise a son and say, hey, you're 18, you're a man now. 
you put in fucking 18 years of reps before they hit that quote unquote threshold of being a man, which we've decided is 18. It comes well before then. But if you had to pick a number, that's the number most people go with. That's not like an accident. You don't magically find success or accidentally raise a good kid. You put in the reps every single day. And again, it's just like the people who train. You train this morning. I saw your, your tweet about, you know, hitting the, hit the upper body, getting the lats and the shoulders. That The success you're having, the growth, people calling you and saying you're on steroids, that's not like magic that you just showed up and it happened. That's fucking hard work that people love to write off with stupid shit like, oh, you're on steroids. Or if you, you know, you raise your children, your sons and your daughter, oh, you know, they're just good kids. No, they had great parenting. No, you're not on fucking steroids. You've, you've worked your ass off. You share the videos, which makes me laugh. But again, separate discussion. But all the ties together so well into this being an art, into it being a discipline. It, you know, you mentioned your son that he won't just go and throw a punch because he's been punched in the face and he respects that punch. But there's also another side of it. He won't just go and throw a punch because there's been plenty of times when he was training, especially when he first started, that he got punched in the face and it pissed him right the fuck off. And he started to react to it. And somewhere in that training session or along several training sessions, his coach and the people that he trains with said, look, you get punched in the face, it's going to piss you off. Instead of just swinging back because you're pissed, here's how you focus that pissed off energy into getting back on track and continuing the fight without having your ass handed to you because you blew a fuse. It's the same thing with like, you know, uh, like we mentioned, uh, a piano player or even a writer, especially writers. You know, I you can feel what I feel when I write. Right. There's things that I write and you're like, oh, this guy's pissed when he wrote it. You know, you can do the same thing when someone's playing music. You can feel what they feel on those notes because they've taken those emotions. And instead of just expressing them and just, you know, feeling vomit. They've channeled them into something and that's what men have to do because if men don't men will burn the world down they have to be able to channel it and it's you know like you said it's those small reps and i'll admit i like being accused of being on steroids it's like the greatest compliment ever for someone for someone who lifts was it but, Mark uh, Lobliner, or I don't even know how to say his last name, but he said he gets oh, Lobliner. Lobliner. Yeah. When people don't accuse him, he gets mad. <laughs> yeah. He said, I would get accused of not being. I'd get mad if I wasn't accused of yeah. That's great. But, but no, it's those small reps where you learn, you know, just like you learn the form in lifting. You write more, you get better at writing. You play piano more, you get better at playing the piano. You start acting like a good man, you get better at being a good man. You start acting in a way that makes you good at being a man, you get better at good at being a man. It's those reps and they build up and it's channeling all those things that is completely okay. Um, you know, for women to do, I love the Godfather, uh, women and children can be emotional. Men can't right. That, that, exactly. They, they can afford to be hysterical and lose because they're not going to collectively burn the world down. Men have that capacity and we can do it. And not only that, we have people depending on us. So if we do lose that discipline or not engage in practicing and becoming more disciplined at the discipline of being a man, the people counting on us are going to fall and the world is going to burn to the ground because there'll be nobody to stop us.
you know, and in that it is that simple, you know, the, the chaos, the capability of destruction, creation of building of, of honing in that art. It sounds this like this grand scheme. Oh, you know, you're going to take the country down. Like people are going to hear that and bring it to that level. It, it is that simple men. If unharnessed, if, if they lose their mission, if they have no guidance, it's just raw energy. They become that thing. The only toxic masculinity that I will ever admit exists is repressed masculinity. And it is that simple that you need to give these boys an outlet, which I believe ties in so well with chapter nine of simplicity. And in it, you say, you know, with simplicity comes sovereignty. And dude, that another point in the book where I was like, God damn, you know, like there are many times where it's similar to you being accused of being on steroids. I like when people call me a simple man. Zach, you're so simple. You're ready is simple. This is all simple. Yes. Yes, it is. And that's how I want it. And that's how I live. I don't want complication. I don't want this super complex web of thinking and, and interactions and engagement and having to keep, I have a wife, I have two kids. I love to write and I love to help my fellow men win. That's it. In that, you break it down much further to understanding the simplicity and the building blocks. Could you dive into that? Yeah. Uh, it it, it kind of goes back to the, uh, and I, I put them in this order specifically uh, with the structural integrity. That old engineering joke, if it moves, it's broken. <laughs> That's not supposed to wiggle, duct tape it. Um, it's very much the same thing with simplicity of being a man. We're not that hard to figure out. We need to exert our strength. We have to. It's probably our most primal desire outside of copulating. You know, and there's no, there's no more, mo- there's no, there's no moment that, you, that you're more animalistic than when you finish with sex. At that point, you're just nothing but a sweaty beast in every, nothing. You can't even think at that point. You're a pure animal at that point. It's very simple. It's basic. It's primal. Well, it's the same thing with these building blocks. The more moving parts any plan has, the more likely it is to fall apart. You know, people think these great tacticians had these brilliant interworking plans that look like something out of like an Oceans movie, right? Those don't work because one tiny thing breaks all of that apart. Trying to overcomplicate being a man will result in destruction again, like we talked about it with discipline. The more moving parts that we try to, you know, add to us, well, I'm a man and I have this, and these are all of my biological desires, and these are all of my rationalized thoughts and logic that every man should have, and these are all of my animalistic tendencies that I have. I put them all together. That's enough. Trying to say, well, I'm also this and I'm also that, or I also want to be less of a man, but more of a man, but I want to redefine this part of it to mean this. It's, it, it, it's all going to crumble together and it's just falling apart. Simplicity. You know, I get accused of the same thing. Well, you're, you live a very simple life. All these other guys have, you know, the supercars and they travel the world. And like, I live in a town of about a thousand people in a house that was built in the forties and I have a wife, I have my kids, I write, I record. And then I go and 
freak out the neighbors kneeling in between two big flames on the patio. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is, it's that simple. People have gotten to this point, especially with like, you know, the modern man, you know, we're captivated by this little tool that we have, you know, the, you know, the, the smartphone, we're captivated by that. It, it It's, you can do anything with it. You can use your iPhone app to, you know, check out x-rays or monitor your heart. And we think just because the world outside is becoming more integrated and more uh, advanced that we need to do the same thing. As men, we are advanced as far as nature intended us to advance. What we need to stop doing is trying to be more of what the world is becoming and be more of the thing that we keep trying to hide from, which is what we are. We're men, we're animals, we're beasts. We have these simple needs and these simple desires that just need to be met. And if we start just meeting those simple basic needs, it'll work just like getting the fundamentals down of any other skill. You get the fundamentals down, you can become the master. You can become a master of being a man. If you just learn the basic and the simple steps that men need to follow to be a man. You know, some of the best hitters in baseball still hit off the tee. And that's something I have to remind my son every time he wants to go like the pitching machine or have me throw. I'm like, no, we do tee work first. You always strengthen that fundamental, just getting the nice swing. You know, and that goes from now until you stop playing this sport, whenever that may be. The same thing with being a man. Stay true to your word. That's like hitting off the tee. Start there. You know, AJ and I, AJ Cortez and I have a lot in common when it comes to our view on talking and answering the DMs. You know, I receive a DM or an email literally every single day, at least one asking questions. There, there are many different variations of what I'm getting. But my inbox, probably by the time we're done with this podcast, somebody will be asking me, what should I do with my wife? What should I do with my kids? How should I do X, Y, Z? every single time what do you want to do well just go do what you want to do start start the process of getting to where you want to go you do not need my permission to succeed you do not need my permission to change your course to start your workout to start eating differently there's no need to complicate this or to put many many steps in the way just go do the thing and that i mean again going back to hitting off the tee men act and then you watch what happens. You see the consequences of your actions. You own them. And for better or worse, you, you adjust and you go again. And you do it again. And the guys who I believe are stuck in that rut or maybe listening to this, going through your book, and they're like, well, I've tried so many things. Yeah, but you didn't stick with any of them. And you're never reaching the top of the mountain if you make it up a quarter way and then you start over. And then you go halfway and you start over. Then an eighth of the way and you start over. You don't finish anything if you're always starting it over. Go to the top, stay the course, see it all the way through. Not what does six days of workouts look like, but what does six months look like? What does six years look like of consistent workouts and being true to your word, staying to your budget, whatever it may be? You know, you didn't accident. We were talking before this. You passed me on Twitter followers. You know, I remember when you first started with Rugged Legacy, you hit me up on the logo. You know, I had probably 20,000 more people than you. Hey, what's up, man? We're just talking. What do you think about this? I, I like that one. Go check this out follow it up all of a sudden you're an foe we're mixing it up all of a sudden you know running podcasts and doing this you stayed the course and at no point were you saying hey zach can i get permission to go and follow my dream can i have permission to go be successful you kept doing the fundamentals 
you know, and for me to watch this grow, dude, I could not be happier. It is the coolest thing because that's when you win, I win, you know, we, we've already addressed that. It's, it's fucking awesome, man. So I'm like cheerleading. Yeah, we won. Like, what the fuck do you mean? We motherfucker. <laughs> like that came from consistency. It came from showing up and it was the simplicity of it that allowed you to just go forward, you know, high speed, low drag. You just went and did the thing. And I think that's the best example for other men is just to look at what the men are doing and stop trying to ask for permission to do it. Just go do what they're doing. They're living on their terms and it's coming with great success. Everybody wants the shortcut and the hack, right? I know when I first started uh, everything and I remember DMing you, I, I saw, I don't even know who it was. Uh, I think it might've been Ryan Mickler had liked something that uh, you had tweeted out. And I, you know, I've known about Ryan for about three, four years at that point. And then, you know, later he and I, you know, became friends or whatever. And uh, I've had him on my show and, um, he sent a book to my kid, my oldest, when he uh, turned 18. He sent his a copy of his book signed to him. It was pretty cool. But uh, he liked one of your posts, and I went, I don't know who this guy is. And I think back then your profile picture was uh, something like one of your speeches uh, at 21. It was just you on stage. I was like, well, this guy looks kind of important. You know, he's on a stage. He's on a stage. There's a screen behind him. There are flags there. Let's see who this guy is. You know, and uh, I clicked on it. I followed you for a couple of days and you had tweeted, your DMs are open. If you need something, reach out. I could use an opinion on this logo. He said something. It counts as something. (laughs) (laughs) And it just spitballed from there, man. But even then, I was really, really hoping that I would figure out some way to just jettison myself into the stratosphere without having to do all that much effort. I mean, I was Googling hacks for how to grow an audience, how to make your business successful and all this, that, and the other. And none of them ever worked because they all said the exact same thing, you know, well, buy this program and we'll buy you followers or who, what, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm broke. I just spent all my money on a logo. <laughs> but uh it's a good it logo was, yeah it was a cool logo but uh yeah i don't do anything special you know people ask me all the time oh man i'm trying to get on your level I'm like you're you're on my level now i'm on i'm on your level you know i just started sooner than you did we're, we're both on the same level i i write things and i say things and i make it to a point where other people hear them and i do that on a daily basis and that's all I do. I don't do anything else. You know, everybody else is doing the same thing. You know, I'm, I just do it all the time. And I picked one thing that was working and kept going at that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have hacks or shortcuts or, you know, the secret Kung Fu methods of how to do it. I just, I'm just going to keep doing the simple thing over and over and over hitting off the T because it works. <laughs> it works. If it works, don't stop doing it. Well, this is working great. Let me go do some random shit over here that probably won't work, but it looks cool. It doesn't have to look cool. You know, just the hustle doesn't have to be sexy. The hustle just has to produce. And that's all I do. I just do the same thing over and over again. And it's simple because it's the basic fundamentals and the basic fundamentals of being a man, the basic fundamentals of being a husband, 
the basic fundamentals of being a father, all those things. They're very simple. They're not easy, but they are simple. It doesn't take uh, a thousand books and a thousand podcasts to figure it out unless you're like me and you and every other man out there who has a tendency to try to look higher up on the mountain for that extra foothold because we're we're result and mission driven, right? We base everything off of what we do on the results we get. And the faster we can get results, the better we feel. And so that's why like you and me and every other man out there, when we're looking for something, we look for the fastest way up and with the most effective way up because that's just how we naturally feel. But when you and I are teaching others or working for the benefit of others, we always tell them, just do the thing. Just be the thing. Just walk one foot in front of the other. You don't have to, you know, the the side-by-side karaoke football drills, you know, while patting your belly and rubbing your head or whichever one those are supposed to go. You don't have to do all that. It looks really cool and it looks like you're juggling a lot and you're really productive, but you're not, you're, you're, you're just wasting energy. Just do the thing. It's very simple. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up your success and experience and importantly work ethic to get there is to not only show behind the scenes look like, dude, like hundreds and hundreds of hours are put into this. Few will ever see that. doesn't matter. The content creators recognize the content creators. They get it. Nobody else really will unless they live it. But that leads to our final chapter. So this has been three different days of recording, 10 lessons learned from 10 chapters. We're reaching the final chapter. And that is Kings and Heroes. The line that hit, and again, the reason I wanted to bring up your decision to do this is when you said the time to rise is today because bad is good and good is silenced. It's dark, man. There, I, I get it. For many, it is a dark, dark spot, and they're finding themselves alone. You became a lighthouse. You became that, that, that bonfire that was lit. It's so fucking bright. It is shining on a mountaintop so people can see there. There's something there. You know, it's not dark there. I want to go that way. And when they find you, they find the message of, of personal responsibility, parenting, family, integrity, honor, all the things we talk about, courage, strength, brotherhood, loyalty, structural integrity, discipline, simplicity, all the things you speak out about in the book. The only reason I know that exists is because you wrote this fucking book. And the only reason you wrote this fucking book is because you had that fire in you and you had to share it. But had you not shared it, we would not have this discussion. The people listening to this or watching this would not have their experience. Your decision to rise is why this is working. Your decision to put this out there and to be a voice in a world where voices are being silenced when they're saying the things you're saying. It's, it's almost like a spit in the face of the biggest beast in life saying, come at me. If I'm going down, I'm on my feet. Hands are filled. We are going down. It's like the scene in Into the Gray, I believe it was called. With Liam Nielsen when he fights the wolf at the very end. Oh, the gray. That's a great the gray. movie. It, dude, God, but the ending, he smashes the nips. He's got his hands. He just goes after it. That's how I see your book and how, that's how I see you in this world. You're just going after life. And, and all those behind you, all the men you're leading and guiding, the voice you're putting out there, dude, It's you're facing it to kind of maybe not grease the groove, but you're helping them learn like, hey, here is the playbook. Go out there and play and start doing this in your life. Go Now you can go fight too. And if we can get 15 of us fighting in FOE, if we can get 200 of us on a united front going forward, you know, maybe we can make a difference. Maybe we can change this. And maybe not for ourselves, but for those who follow us. 
our women, our children, our legacy, our heirs. You know, I just, when I hit this chapter and for you to end it with the Kings and heroes, it wasn't so much a message of hope as much as a call to action. And is that how you intended it to be delivered? What was going through your mind as you wrote this final closing chapter of this book? You know, the biggest problem with your traditional self-help books is that everybody just keeps reading them, but nobody ever just does the fucking thing that it says to do. Like, I'm guilty of that. You've been guilty of that. You know, there's people that are going to watch or listen to this and they've got, you know, the four hour work week, tools of Titans, uh, the daily stoic and da, 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 all this shit piled up on their fucking nightstand. And they feel great because they read it all, but they haven't done any of the fucking things in there. They feel successful because they read the book and yeah, you succeeded in completing the book. They didn't do much else. Right. And you know, our friend Nick, you know, he has, you know, mountain climber, jiu-jitsu, co- ground shark coffee. One thing that I learned from him, and this guy is almost young enough to be my kid, <laughs> right? One thing, uh, my, matter of fact, my wife calls him her stepson. But uh, one thing I learned from him was when we were talking about the guys that climbed Everest or climbed these, uh, like El Capitan. I can't remember the guy's name, but he had that one Netflix special, uh, Into the Void or Over the Void, where he yeah. was the first person to free solo. That's it. Yes. I couldn't think of the guy's Free name. solo. Alex Arnold. Something like that. Yeah. But he was the first person to ever free solo it. And like such amount, and he, and he did it in like such amount of time. Well, because he did that, other people are going, all right, I'll follow his route and I'll, I'll do the same exact thing that he did. I'll train the way that he trained. I'll follow the routes up and down and I'll check it and I'll just camp out in my van there until that day comes where I can feel it and say, screw it, I'm going for it. It's like monkeys eating the red berries. Nobody, none of the monkeys will eat those red berries because they've never seen these red berries. I'm not eating that. But another monkey goes over there and he eats the red berries and everybody's looking at him like, oh, shit. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 look. Guys, he didn't die. Cool, we can eat the red berries too. And that's what I wanted with this chapter. You know, with all nine noble virtues covered in the first nine chapters, I had to show them that you have to do these things in order to experience and grow in these things. It's not something that you can just read and say, Hey, I'm done. You have to actually go out and do the things. That's why I live the way I live. That's why I write the way I write and why I'm probably going to get canceled eventually because of the things I say, but that's cool because if I can go as far as I have and build as, you know, as big of an audience as I have and inspire as many of the people as I hope I inspire, then they can do the same thing and it will be an exponential explosion of you can't get all of us motherfucker. But everybody has this thing where they always say someone needs to do something. You, you're the one. You can't be the, the, the guy watching everybody loaded into cattle cars and go, someone please do something when you actually have the power to be the one to do something. That's why I said the time to rise is now because everybody sits back 
and they react to everything and they complain about it and they talk about it and they say, this needs to change. What are you doing to change it? What steps have you taken? What influence are you trying to build? What message are you sharing? You know, you can't sit there and be like some of those guys that will scream at everybody. Everybody needs to wake up and rise up. And then you sit there like a timid little mouse hoping someone else is the first person to stand up so you can jump in and say, yeah, I, I inspired these guys. No, you got to eat the red berries. Could they be poisonous? Probably. But if you don't die, cool. Everybody gets to eat the red berries and you can go on. There's another food source. There's another way forward. But it's not enough to just say, I'm against you know, letting uh, transgendered men compete or transgender women. I don't know which one is which. I don't care. You know, in, in women's sports, I don't want my little girl, you know, uh, like taking boxing where she's going to fight another girl. And then a 200 pound, uh, person named, you know, G, uh, Gina that used to be Greg cracks her skull. It's not enough to say I'm against this. It's not enough to say I'm not going to, participate at all in this global tax that they're trying to you know implement now 12.15 percent global tax i i won't pay it that's what i'll do to fight back against it i won't pay it i'll take all of my money lo-fi and i will just be bartering for berries and potatoes if i have to or we can rally up everyone and we can we can fight club it like the end of that movie but it's not enough to say, man, I, this sucks. This is terrible. No, kings and heroes didn't do that. Kings were discriminative. They said no, and they were decisive. You're not allowed in my kingdom because you suck. You're not, you're not allowed here because you're not one of my people. You know, kings spend their entire lives, if they're smart, looking over their shoulder because they're in a dangerous position. That... We have to go beyond these bounds of safety. We have to, like what I'm talking about in my second book, the follow-up to this one, the perimeter. you got to go outside your own little comfort zone and put yourself in danger. Because if you're going to live as a king, you call yourself a king because you're a man and you do this, then be a goddamn king. Put yourself in that dangerous position where you always have to look over your shoulder because somebody's coming to cut you down, take over your kingdom, sit on your throne and fuck your wife. Or shut up. It's that simple. You know, the knight only becomes a knight after he slays the dragon. Other than that, he's just a bitch with shiny armor. You got to go out there and slay the monsters and do the goddamn thing that you say you're totally educating for. You can't be the one that says someone needs to do something. Women and children can afford to do that because they're looking at us to be the ones to step out and say, no, 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 no. I'm going to wrap my fingers in this ele electrical tape and I'm going to face this fucking wolf. It has to be that way. It's not enough to just say I'm against this or this, this debauchery and depravity that's coming to my front door where they're targeting my kids and wanting my kids to have some stimulation of normalcy with sexual deviancy. No, fuck you. I'm not doing it. You, you, you can't just say, I'm going to be against it. 
And I don't think that's right. You got to be the one to get out there and say, no, 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 everybody, let's go. Let's go kick these fuckers asses because they want to dance around naked in front of small children. And that's not allowed because I said it's not allowed. Well, the law said, fuck the law. I said it's not allowed. You got to be that guy. And if you're not going to be that guy, then sit down and stop posturing. That's well said. The king runs the kingdom. You decide the rules. You decide the laws. You decide where you're leading it. The king's also responsible for the kingdom. This isn't, all right, go build your kingdom by leaving your wife and children behind, taking off. They can figure it out for themselves, but you can go and do that thing you didn't get to do in your past or because you weren't self-aware enough to achieve those goals or face those things. You weren't smart enough. Her dad wasn't involved, but you heard a podcast that motivated you. So now I can go back and you can get the women, the supercars, whatever, but your wife and kid, they can just stay home and go hungry. You know, they, there's more to it, you know, than just the self. And when I looked at it, when I first read Kings and Heroes, I viewed the king as the, the more patriarch. That's, that's the taking care of the lives you've taken with you, where I view the hero as the individual slaying the personal demons, the personal battles, fighting those fronts. And man is both. There's, there's a duality there. And I, w- I wonder if you agree with that. You know, to me, that's, there's a duality to that, that in the sense of the, the, we talk a lot about the father's shield and spear. You have to be able to hold that newborn baby and rip the throat out of that guy coming in your house. Both. Maybe within minutes of each other. Maybe within seconds of each other. And then the king, that's the one holding the, the baby. That's the one with the queen. That's the one protecting his fellow men, educating them, rising, getting them, you know, to reach that level where they're self-capable to handle and going out and starting their own kingdoms. Whereas the, or as the hero, you've got to be able to go slay by yourself. No kingdom, no support, no logistics, no supply. You need to be able to go, whether it's going within some have to slay some inner demons. Some have to get over their addiction. Some have to get over their, their past. Some of the traumas they faced, let that shit stop, stop picking at it. Let it heal. Sure. It's a scar, but now it's done. It's not going to get infected anymore. You can go on to the next thing. And for others, it's, it's exterior. You've got to go face that boss. who keeps fucking just fucking with you and not paying you worth your time. You've got to go out and get that new job. You've got to go out and face the bully at the park for some, you know, the guy who keeps amogging you in front of your wife. You need to tell him to shut the fuck up. And then take his fucking grill, throw it in your truck and leave. You know, like you, you have to find these different ways to go out and slay these demons. And we, we do this thing where we go like, oh, he's talking about taking over uh, Citadel and city banks and, and fucking Bank of America. No, dude, we're talking about the dude, your fucking neighbor who keeps fucking throwing his shit in your lawn, but you're afraid to confront him because confrontation makes you sad or scared. No, th- these are little things. These are everyday things. And I, I believe a man needs to be both. If you're the hero now, you're kicking ass and you're looking to start that family, you're becoming a king. If you're a king, but you've been so fucking pussified because you started that family and you got weak, you've got to go back to being a hero. You have to dual wield both roles. I put it as kings and heroes, particularly in that order, because everybody likes to see themselves as a king, right? At least men do. I'm the king of my castle. Okay. How did you get that castle? Does anybody ever respect a king that was just born into his role? Or is it more badass if you rebelled against an old empire and you were a hero and everybody looked at you and said, okay, you, because you led us to this victory, you are our king. You fought for us. You united us. You brought us up and you emboldened us 
we would follow you anywhere. So we're going to follow you as our king. But you have you can't just be call yourself a king if you've done nothing heroic. You're a king in name only. You know, and I think Jack Donovan put it best in his book Fire in the Dark, and he articulated it much better uh, than I will here. The the hero, like what we talk about, the shield and the spear. Uh, the hero and the king. The king is the spear. The hero. Uh, the king is the shield. The hero is the spear. The the spear, the hero, the man, the mere mortal becomes the hero through heroic action. And heroic action can be defined however. I think it's heroic if there's a single mom out there who managed to raise six kids, turn them into good people, and nobody went hungry. That's heroic. Right? Just like the man who lost everything but never stopped and made sure that his family never did without. That's heroic. It made him worthy of being a king. Well, what does a king need? A king needs heroes. You got to do the heroic thing, become the king. And then you have to, as a king, raise other heroes to defend that kingdom. And that's part of being a father. That's part of what we do in the fraternity of excellence. You could say that the, the guys, the veterans of the fraternity of excellence are a room full of kings. And the new guys that we bring in, these are the recruits that will become the potential heroes that will morph into kings and then bring in more heroes. To further expand the perimeter and expand the kingdom. And sometimes the king has to say, I need to pick the spear back up. I need to have the extension of myself stand beside me, that hero, that spear stand beside me, and we're going to go all do this together. And he's capable of doing that because that's how he became a king in the first place. He wasn't some weak, impotent little thing that was just placed on this pedestal because of a birthright or because... Well, I'm the king of my castle just because I married my wife and I paid for the house. You're king in name only. You ain't done no king shit. You ain't done no hero shit. Why would she look up to you as the king if you're not doing king shit and you didn't do anything to get there? You're king in name only. Why should your kids respect you if you're not respectable? You want your kids to look up to you as an example of what to become or do you want your kids to look up to you as an example of what not to fucking do ever? If you're going to be a king, you got to be a hero first. Otherwise, you're just a king in name. And you're never going to be a hero bitching and saying, someone, please do something while you clutch your fucking pearls and hope somebody else who's braver than you finally steps up because you're too afraid of losing uh, status with people you don't give a shit about anyway. You know, what stands out to me in that is that trying to not fit the mold, but sort of get along. What is it? Get get along to get along or whatever the fuck it is. You know, these guys, well, I don't want to make waves. Well, I don't want to make myself a target. You know, I don't. 
they're coming for you regardless. You know, th- th- that's happening whether you stand out or not. I mean, totally innocent dudes having nothing to do with nothing have had their businesses absolutely trashed from the things going on. Absolutely innocent bystanders have been taken advantage of and absolutely had their lives forever destroyed. And they were doing the right thing and just trying to get along to get along, trying to be good and not make waves. The book is Empire Divided. Not the empire is dividing. It's divided. It has happened. We are in this. Now is the time where you meet those other individuals who will make you prepared mentally, physically, spiritually for what's to come your way. So you are ready no matter what happens. It doesn't matter what you do. It is happening. You cannot stop it. You cannot avoid it. You cannot say, well, I'm not a part of this revolution. Motherfucker, you're in the middle of Boston. You're in the American revolution, whether you want to or not. I get it. You used to make ties and candles. Well, you better find a fucking rifle. <laughs> like, it's not going anywhere. So in that, when it comes to the kings and heroes, and when it comes to sort of the conclusion of all the, the virtues prior to this, what, is, what would you want the final takeaway or the final point to be for the men who are reading? They just closed the book and they're like, fuck, he's talking to me. I think the last words I wrote in the book is the choice is yours. And that's where it is. You, it's empire divided. It's split. And you have to pick a side. And I don't care which one you pick, but pick one because you're going to get ran over if you're just standing there in the middle of the road. You, you know, you, you're, you're that indecisive squirrel that ends up flat on the pavement because it can't decide which side, you know, which side of the road looks better. Doesn't matter. Get on one side and fight. You might win. Get on the other side and fight. You might win. But pick a damn side. If you're going to advocate for men being men again and men raising sons to be sons and men raising daughters to be daughters, then pick the damn side. Stop trying to get along to get along. Pick the damn side with the rest of us who are trying the same things and say, I'm all in. Or if you're completely content with some guy in a dress walking in there and taking a leak next to your daughter or your sons being exposed to twerking trannies at their school library or your son being told that he's born evil and everything about him is wrong and he should be ashamed of who he is and what he is and he should cut his dick off and castrate himself chemically. If you're okay with that, then get on the empire side and shut up about everything else. Pick one. If you're okay with every single thing about you being told, being labeled, if you have a pair of balls, well, you're evil, you're racist, you're misogynist, you're a broken woman, you should have been born a girl, and you are a mistake of nature, and you're okay with sitting there and listening to all of that crap, and you fully believe all that crap, then pick the other side and stay there. But stop sitting in the middle saying, well, I fully believe all this, but if I say it out loud, these people over here that I depend on for comfort and safety are going to get mad at me and then they'll kick me out and I'm stuck here in the middle anyway. Well, what happens then? The other side doesn't want you either because you were a coward. 
once you realize if you just work on building a tribe, that's why I put that in there. The modern man's path back to his tribe. Choose that side. You'll find like-minded people that will say, hey, come over here with us. Oh, they don't want to give you a job? Well, we're all, majority of all of us are successful. Come work for one of us. I could use a guy who is good at accounting for whatever. I could use a welder. I could use somebody to just do manual friggin' labor. We do that all the time in the FOE. We have members hiring other members because, hey, I don't want to go and work for this hyper woke, you know, please insert your pronouns onto your name tag company because I, I feel like I'm being placed into a hostile work environment because I can't say what I just would naturally say. Not anything offensive or demeaning, just be me without being preached at that I'm evil and I need to constantly be reminded in meetings of how evil and wrong I am. Don't worry, bro. Come work for me. We got you. You don't need those other fucking people. But you have to build a network of those people that you can rely on, that you can say, hey, you know what? I'm hiring. Bring you other guys over here. That's the, that's the power of a tribe. I can send out a smoke signal and my people be like, yo, I got you. And that's it. Because I chose their side over the side of this globocentric bullshit where everybody's supposed to tolerate everything and just be stepped on and owned where you're not allowed to make your own decisions anymore because they don't, the people who are in power don't believe you're smart enough or capable of it. Do I sound like an extremist? Yes, I do. Am I an extremist? Yes, I am. Because extreme measures are needed for extreme change. There needs to be a chaotic and dramatic break from the empire. If you want to have any hope of being your own goddamn man, you can't, well, I'm going to just kind of put my toes in over here and feel, no, no, no. Get your pants off, jump in. Let's do this. It has to be chaotic and it has to be dramatic. So the other side gets the damn point. So the ones you're going to side with know who you are and okay, this guy's a man. He's got some balls. Let's roll. I'll stand beside him. People think, well, I don't want to end up alone, isolated against the empire. You're not. They keep telling you that you will be, but there's a lot of us on the other side that go, nah, fuck this shit. Just pick the damn side. And that's why I ended the book with the choice is yours. You know, we could have done 30 days of a breakdown of this book, and I don't think we would have done it justice. For those watching, listening, you know, read it, get the link, ask your specific questions to the man himself. You know, this, Jeff, I appreciate your time, man. Literally three days. I, I'm pretty sure we crossed the three hour mark of this, you know, and it's one of those things where you have a lot going on. We're both really busy men. So if you to take that time to break it down, you know, not just on my channel, but also with that understanding that there is literally nothing you didn't answer. So to have that access to your mind, for you to let me in there inside the walls a little bit, if you will, peek around, see what you were thinking when you were going through this. You know, this is, this is an extension of you. I have a piece of you in my hand right now. You know, and it's, it's incredible how this went from thought to literally in Rhode Island right now in my hand. You know, and it's it's a personal thing. You know, anybody that's ever published a book or published a serious work of art understands that a piece of you goes with that. 
you know, that piece I carry around, you know, my son, it's entered his life. And again, I, I don't say that lightly. I'm very, very, for obvious reasons, particular, what's going into his mind. And when I finished that, it had to go to him because that's my heir. That's the, the, the closest, the best man I know is him. You know, and it's, it's great to be able to pass that to him, the lessons that you're sharing with me. So for those listening, you know, the slogan of the family alpha is acta non verba, which is Latin for deeds, not words. I chose that from day literally number one before I ever launched the blog, because it's about what you're doing. It's great to say those things. As Jeff just broke down very eloquently, I'm not going to go back into it. It's great to say them. What are you doing though? What skin in this game do you have? If you're a father, you have literal skin in the game of life. If you're a husband, you have literal skin in this game. You know, as a man, you need to put skin in this game. That way you have something to lose and people know where you stand. Jeff. Thanks, brother. <laughs> this, is a, this is a solid fucking session, man. I'm looking at my notes, dude. And I'm just like, God damn. Like, I cannot wait for the perimeter to come out. You know, that's going to be breaking down each of these further, correct? Yeah, that one hits Amazon. Uh, if it processes fast enough, it will be Kindle and paperback on the 1st. I had set a deadline that I was going to have it done by May 11th. Uh, and that's when I first started writing it, which was three days after I finished writing this one. But in all of that, I wasn't satisfied. Even after I'd uploaded my manuscript, had the cover design done, all of the editing is done. I looked at the final manuscript and all I had left was uh, to click publish. And I go, okay, give me the manuscript. And I opened up to the very first chapter and I wrote three pages before the first word of the first chapter <laughs> in between where it says chapter one, which I didn't title any of these chapters. It's just chapters one through 22. Uh, and it, I just, well, I don't like the way chapter one begins. So I wrote all of that three more pages. That was just going to be a little blurb. Nope. It took three pages. And even now I'm looking at it going, I could probably write a couple of more onto each of the other pages uh, but I finally said that, you know, it, it is what it is. Anything else will just go into book three, which I plan on starting here in a week or so. Um, you know, my son's leaving to basic training on Monday. So we're going to, we've been spending a lot of time together just doing that. But the, the, the third book, it's, uh, it's going to be the conclusion to the empire divided series. Uh, and uh, that one's going to go much, much deeper rather than the functionality of man and the utility of man and the purpose of man and also those things of the tribe. And it's going to be a more internal book, which if you think about it, it probably could have gone back to been the first, uh, the first book, but I think it'll do well as the, as the third in the conclusion. And like I said, that will be Kindle and paperback June 1st. Uh, and right now, if you go to my website before the 1st of June, uh, well, before midnight on the night of the 31st, you can order a signed copy of the perimeter and paperback. And my website is jeffputnamauthor.com. Um, right there on the home page, you can either click the tab that says uh, the perimeter shop, or you can scroll down to right there where it says books. You'll see Empire Divided, a link there to get this one. And you'll also see a link right below it uh, for the perimeter. And it'll take you to the page where you can order your signed copy. Signed copy will take about a week 
to two weeks, depending on how Amazon does printing. It ships to me. I sign it, and then I will ship it out the day that I receive them. And then however long it takes priority mail to get to you. Uh, it'll be in your hands, and it'll be the signed copy. This is the only time I'm doing signed copies uh, from here on out is going to be right before launch. And so I'm probably not going to offer signed copies anymore unless you buy it and then you mail it to me and then you, you send me a paid envelope to send it back. Um, I'm a one man operation and it's a whole lot of work doing signed copies. Uh, I signed so many with empire divided. Uh, I just said, I, I really need a stamp and just start going. <laughs> That's a good level to hit. Yeah, it was great. Uh, but no, it comes out paperback and Kindle, hopefully the same day, June 1st. If not, paperback will be a, a day or two later for the processing and approval of that. Uh, but yeah, it's, well, you said it's something personal. It's when you write, you bleed on the pages and say, here, hold this. And so it, I hope everyone gets out of this one what I put into it. I'm looking for, I actually just brought it up. I meant to buy it three days ago when we were talking and then life happened. So I've got it up right now. I just got to click the button after we finish this. But you mentioned jeffputnamauthor.com. For anybody else that was is looking to talk business with you, is looking to connect, maybe pick your brain, what's the best way for them to contact you? Hit me up on a DM on Instagram or Twitter. And it's the same handle on both places. I mean, you can send me an email, but I get so many friggin' emails. It's ridiculous, whether it be from... Uh, legacy my company uh from people saying hey pay us and we'll review your book and put it on this because once you publish your book everybody decides to freaking do that it's it's aggravating um but yeah rugged underscore legacy twitter and instagram hit me on a dm there uh say hi that's the easiest way to get a hold of me awesome Jeff, thank you again for all of your time. I'm looking forward to dropping this, both the the podcast, the YouTube, having people go through it, that, that slugfest of the Empire Divided. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right, for everybody that's listened or watched, this has been another episode on the Family Alpha podcast. If you're looking to get to the inner workings and join the roundtable that Jeff and I frequent, that's inside the fraternityofexcellence.com. Check it out. Doors are opening soon. There is a link below, but that's where we're doing a lot of the work that people don't see. You know, so when you go out and you see these guys slaying it, crushing it, their inner counsel, the ones that they lean back on, that's what we have inside our walls. So that's fraternityofexcellence.com. Well, thank you for tuning in. Like, subscribe, share, comment, fucking crush it. Enjoy your day. You are not just here to be a well-listened or well-watched man. You are here to take the knowledge and apply it in your life to change your life. So get after it. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's only community at the fraternity of And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach small underscore.